Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, a slight tangent, the crappy quiz, and you had to be there. You have to be there, like, but I wish I wasn't there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Welcome to the show. With you until 10 this morning in an absolutely jam-packed show uh, for you as well. Shane, good morning to you. Good morning, Adrian. Good morning, everyone. I'm really looking forward to a little bit later on to getting stuck into the meat and drink of the game. Shane, it was such uh, the ebb and flow, the, you know, all the the, 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 the game played out. <laughs> you weren't watching the game. Like you were at the, you know, at the cinema last night. This got the highlights. Got the highlights and, and the, the main highlight, which was Pep Guardiola's you don't comments. Need to be, don't, you don't need to be apologising for it or detract from the fact that you were um, at the cinema last night. I make no apologies. My uh, third time at the cinema in uh, less than a week, I would say. Avatar, The Way of Water, the new Avatar film is what I went to see last night Any in good? IMAX. Oh, it was brilliant. Yeah. And I saw it in the senses with the with the three D glasses on. Um so and the sister went and it was uh, an enjoyable, enjoyable experience. You was felt it? like you were there, do you know? Right. Was it a thread on from the original? Not that anybody can remember the original. It is, it is a thread on. Right. Now it's it is probably a deck set years later anyway. Mm. Uh, but it is definitely a continuity piece. Uh don't think it's based on a true story. <laughs> as far as I know yeah. but uh, I did go out to see North Circular at the start of the week and I saw Any good? very good right. brilliant the history of the North Circular Road and the cobblestone and Mountjoy Prison there's loads in it um, for, for, and Gemma Dunleavy is, is one of the it's got an extended run in the cinema as well which is always yeah. a good sign yeah. I think it was a sign that more people wanted to see it and then a man called Otto I went to see the other night as well, oh yeah any good yeah, I heard you oh, rabbling on about that do you not get fed up with the cinema I, I love going to the cinema and I don't get there oh. any, uh, anywhere near as much as I would like with uh, young kids whatever but uh, I love the idea of it I'm uh, no the Hannon family are big big cinema goers would you, yeah. the brother has a season ticket for Omniplex, Omniplex. Which, uh, what does that involve? You just I go anytime you want, or you get, you get cheaper overall if you go an X amount of times during the year, which okay. he absolutely does. Right, um, but I love it. Yeah, just just a chance to escape the uni- the the world, Adrian, mm. and just mm. leave this little. Well, planet. I'm up, I'm up for that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I did get the highlights of this of the city spurs. No, game, I, which, we're not asking you to explain yourself, Shane. That's that's absolutely. Well, like fine. Came, just out, good like, context for our viewers when it comes to discussing the show, and yeah. you're rabbiting on about something that you haven't seen. That's but fine. I did, I did a lot of reading on it last night. I have to say, and a lot of a lot of watching of, uh, of post match interviews, but. I, like I came out of the the cinema, looking at the live score, thinking, "Please be a crap nil nil that I missed." And then yeah. I saw Spurs were two 0 up at half time, and the mm. city came back. I was like, "Oh, that's that sounds like it was a good game." Yeah. And it turns out it was a very good game, and Pep wasn't yeah. happy either way. We were first guests of the morning, standing by in a couple of moments' time, so we don't have a huge amount of time to get into it. But if you've any thoughts, you wa- if you were actually watching the game last night, um, and you've any thoughts about that, or if you're you, at the cinema, let us know what you thought. Uh, of equally, if you were at North Circle or Avatar, any of the, any of the above, mm-hmm. um, I think that's the less likely option this morning. But uh, please do feel free to drop a comment to the old YouTube there, whatever you're having yourself. I did think just very briefly in the game that before it, I thought, wow, this would be what an opportunity if Spurs could win in the unlikely scenario where Spurs could win this game. What a squeeze that puts oh. at the top. The excitement, the narrative from our point of view that that starts to build. Uh, Arsenal's lead, obviously, at that point is looks a little healthier. Yeah, the top of the table is so much more squeezed. The talking points get much more. And I thought, but that look at that that ain't happening anyway. And then at half time, this is on. This mm. is on. City, City, not looking good. No fire in the belly. No fire. No fire. <laughs> and the fans um, were crap as well. Apparently, yeah, Gordon yeah. Pep. Well, they were booing them off at half time. Yeah, uh, I do think. I do think that that was more related to the fact that they conceded just before halftime, so yeah. it's sort of fresh in the mind. I don't know. I mean, uh, maybe maybe City fans are so such a fickle bunch that uh, that they get to boo at that point. Mm. But. I don't even think he cared about the boo, and it was more the fact that they were dead quiet in the first half. Mm. They lived up to the empty head name in many ways, mm. but like then the second half, they're brilliant. The fans, and then all of a sudden, as soon as City get one goal, get pull the one goal back, 
they're uh, they're all over them. So yeah, yeah I think Pep had a couple of good points, but it, it struck me as a man who's getting embroiled in a in a title race and wants to maybe have a bit of mind games going. I, I don't think that was directed necessarily at the city players or the city fans. Mm. I always feel like there's an ulterior motive with Pep Guardiola. Um, a few comments coming in. Chris Jews, good morning to you, saying that uh, Conte needs the sack and I'm a Spurs fanatic and it's a top uh, topic that we are going to come back to because it's definitely uh, taken legs and the man himself is not doing a huge amount to, uh, to dampen it down either. So uh, thanks for that comment and we will come back to that, Chris, a little bit later in the show. 7.35, it's Friday morning. Here's what's coming up between now and 10 this morning. Ronan Agara standing by ahead of a weekend of uh, an interesting week for um, Irish rugby, of course, and another weekend of Heineken Champions Cup to come. Alan Quinlan as well will take on some of that chat from 8 this morning. We'll go around the world with the stories that didn't make the cut with Shane at 25 past. They didn't make the cut, I think, for a reason, but listen, <laughs> nevertheless, this is the home for that. Uh, 8.35, the sports news. Martin Lipton, football writer, will join us to reflect on the game last night and look ahead to the weekend as well at 10 to 9 this morning. And then Meath footballer Emma Duggan as the Lidl National Football Leagues get underway uh, this weekend. Uh, no home for Meath Dublin, uh, or no natural home anyway will certainly be one of the talking points with Emma that is at 10 past 9 this morning so uh, do get your comments coming into us uh, over the course of the day OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day it is 7.35 Ronan Agar good morning to you Hi Adrian how, you, how are you keeping you in uh, Northampton no 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 we're uh, going at lunchtime so just ah, um, uh, a little bit of a loosener this morning and then on our way um freezing over here at the minute but I hope it's better in Northampton but well, if uh, uh, if it's if over here is anything to go by it's probably something similar we, yeah yeah we just need the game to go ahead you know is there a chance it won't no I don't know but just we don't need we already had one uh, debacle going to uh, Ulster and then mm. arriving there and then no chance of a game and then getting in a bus so we've kind of had our had our fun time on the bus we could do with just hopefully a uh, a straightforward um, travel experience this weekend. Do you sit at the front of the bus, Roger? Is, is it unlike your playing days where you're probably at the back messing or is it is it a, is it a middle of the bus? Or what, do you, is it a assigned seats? Or no, no. Um, yeah, you know, it's front of the bus, yeah, when you're meant to be responsible. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well worded. <laughs> but, um, what was your first thought when you saw the Ireland squad yesterday? Um... Yeah, it shows the quality involved. Obviously, there's some, um, you know, I think, is it uh, James Hume, uh, Joey Carberry, um, uh, Kieran Treadwell, um, and there was, what, 37 names, isn't there? Yeah. It shows, like, that it's, you know I mean, there are three into each position. It's 45, obviously. Um, so you're talking about serious quality, but obviously the standout was uh, Joey Carberry. Yeah. Um, I think he has bought 37, 39 caps for Ireland, isn't it? And mm. uh, has contributed to all the big moments gone far, gone as far back as the first time Ireland beat New Zealand in Chicago. Um, he was central to that. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a shattering blow for him, no doubt about it. But he has to reply now, and uh, he has plenty of time, contrary to what people might think. He just needs to. I think make a little bit of improvements in his own game and the great thing about I think Joey Carberry is, is when he's humming um, he's in that kind of top class category um, it's probably a great opportunity for him to um, 
realise what his point of difference is. I thought he, was, I think he's an, a fantastic, instinctive player, and maybe he's burdened down with structure. Maybe he needs to, I think, marry the best of his game with what the best of the coaches want out of him because he's a kid who, I think, if I'm right, grew up playing in New Zealand and then moved to Ireland. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Uh, so he has all that catch pass and um, excellent running lines and his ability to glide. Uh, very, very, very athletic. Um, and I think he's better probably when he's allowed to play the game uh, freer. Uh, he seems to, over the last number of years, have become bogged down with structure. And for me, that's a perfect example of a, a, a non-structured player uh, trying to play a structured game. He, he, I think he's brilliant loose. That's his point mm. of difference for me. He needs to just go express himself. I presume a lot of that structure has obviously come from the coaches and a game plan and he's trying to fit within that. Like It's a hard position for him to be in when obviously Andy Farrell is the one making the call here uh, uh, alongside Graham Rountree, obviously at provincial level, and they're giving him a game plan, like a structure almost. And then uh, he feels maybe on some level that he's got to fit within that. And then like you're saying, he does tend to play some of his best rugby when he's playing that bit freer. How do you marry those things? Yeah, and it's about getting your message across as a coach to him too as well. I think where you create frameworks and structure is for guys um, that uh, aren't, uh, we'll say, athletic freaks who who can't or struggle um, to get the better of a one-on-one with a guy. So, um, for example, you know, I think for me, you have a great contrast in the fact that um, Ross Burns' game management is absolutely excellent because of the fact I think uh, he understands that Joey Carberry, for example, and and it's probably a head-to-head here, which uh, makes it even tastier in the fact that um, Joey Carberry's probably athletic ability is better than his. But what Ross Burns thinks he can do is he can manage the game and see the game quicker and put his team in a position better than Joey Carberry can. Joey Carberry, uh, for me probably doesn't need three options in the in the same system he needs two while when I used to play the game I was probably a more systems game manager kind of player than a, a guy with athletic ability so um, that for me is, is the key difference I think it's um, Joy's capacity is to stay in the moment and kind of can he just play instinctively as much as he can while me, Ross Byrne, would be kind of manipulating uh, the opponents by trying to think two or three phases ahead of where the play potentially could be, if you can follow me. Mm. You've, you've touched you on it. <laughs> no, would you, would you? <laughs> you touched on it, Ronan, in your, your Irish Examiner piece uh, column this morning, and almost on the, I guess, the, the brutality of sport, and you, you referenced John O'Gibbs losing his job this week as well, but I think when you're talking about Carberry, you're, you're saying like he needs to almost find a mirror and listen to the reply. Like, that, is that? I, I hear what you're saying. It's probably an opportunity. No, find, for, uh, yeah, sorry, yeah, to explain that better. Uh, uh, find a mirror. No, you because you want listening to the reply isn't the solution. You've got to speak openly and honestly to it, because listening to it is. That's I'm experiencing that coaching at the minute. I, I've. I've tried to give my message to certain players in La Rochelle this week, especially. I've gone onto the pitch for for one on ones, mm. but um, but the conversation always ends with uh, yes, but and if, but and ifs. 
there's no place for them at, at top level sport and that's uh, it's not a reflection on the player it's a reflection on me that I haven't stimulated something in his thought process that he is seeing what my I'm trying to say and it's very simple yet very complicated and then after maybe 20 minutes the message uh, got uh, passed through but for the first 19 minutes it, it, it wasn't hitting the target that I wanted it to hit and it's um, it's exactly that when you when when you look into the mirror you have to uh, take the most difficult version out there it's me uh, 2000 Twickenham a zero out of five kicks. The easy thing to say is, or listening to the mirror is saying, um, "Oh, this will be this will be okay. You 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 get another chance to do it. But if you keep doing what you always did without making tweaks in your technique or in your mental capacity to perform, you'll end up with failure again. And that's separates good from great. The fact is that I knew under pressure, be it having strength in my legs or having strength in my mind, that my technique wasn't up to performing in front of eighty thousand people in Twickenham. But it was absolutely um, crushing trying to to deal with that because you have three months of not having a ball to kick and then you have to wait for first pre-season. There isn't a game in pressure for other people in a, in a pre-season friendly. But for me, it felt like going and playing another European Cup final because it's your first chance to get on the road to rehabilitation. It's the same for Joey Carberry this week. He's left out. He's gone from second to fourth. I'd say worst case scenario, you probably thought he was going to be tired. But uh, sport changes very, very quickly. But it won't change unless um, players have the capacity and coaches have the capacity to um, to take messages out of out of the moments of disappointment. And you know, it's uh, it's worse as a coach because at least with players, you have the support of the dressing room. When you're the coach, you've very few mates and. You know, and that's why I just referenced John O'Gibbs because he he let me grow in my role in La Rochelle and then it ended up that I ended up taking uh, essentially the number one role when he was kind of targeted by Claremont to go there and he had, I think, a, a very good plan that was probably uh, on its way to finding its feet yet injuries came into play and I suppose external forces and then I think for John's sanity, he has to understand that he's in France and, and these things happen as opposed to probably other rugby environments. There's a little bit more, um, shall we say, stability, but it's changing and you could see that probably with uh, Eddie Jones's decision to for him to be removed. Um, it was trial by social media. <coughs> Excuse me. He's gone, Ronan, from uh, Joy Carberry. Like, he wakes up this morning and he's gone from pretty much guaranteed number two with Ireland to number four at the minute uh, and you know his number two at Munster has leapfrogged him into the Ireland setup. he's probably looking at his provincial position and wondering um, sort of uh, exactly what sort of ground he's at with that and I'm sure he's having conversations with Joy, uh, with uh, Graham Rowntree um, about all of that we'll see what the team select, which way the team selection goes of course um, for Sunday but it's it feels like the most and he's had injuries and a, such a winding path obviously given coming from Leinster down to Munster up to this point it feels like the most pivotal time in the career now of Joy Carberry Yeah like in that position you're taking off a lot of belts it's up to him now how he replies. He can control his attitude. He can tr- control his preparation. He can't control Crowley. He can't control Johnny Sexton. He can't control uh, Ross Byrne. But that's okay. I think he just makes a plan. He's got the 
understand that it won't be plain sailing getting back to where he wants to go. But uh, I think with his capacity and talent, he has uh, there's a huge upside to him. And I think which probably comforts me a lot in this because it's a position that I enjoy and probably understand well. He has Mike Prendergast there who has uh, huge, I suppose, empathy for 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 players. And I think he'll use Jack Crowley and Joy Carberry to the best of their ability to uh, to get the best out of them. And don't forget, for Munster, it was Joy Carberry who was starting 10. So he's had, uh, you mean, a nice vote of confidence where a month or six weeks ago, it could have been, and we're talking about rootless scenarios, the same for uh, Joy Carberry in Munster as it is at present for Keith Earls and Conor Murray, where they're left out of the 23. Yeah. So he hadn't that, you know, so mm. it's not... It's a it, it's a belt, but I think that this is the belt that's highlighted. But when you're involved in it, you understand that there's potential belts and disappointments, and uh, for every disappointment, there's an upside for another player. I guess the the comeback side of Joey Carberry's brain is fairly well trained as well, Ronan. Given all the injuries he's had to come back from as well, so in, in some ways, if there's if there's one player that that you would say can come back from a from a knock like this or a bruise to the ego it probably is Joey Carberry no there's loads of other players Shane there's loads of other players that happens at, at this level the further you go along and test rugby the more knocks and question marks you get examined at a higher level you get uh, you know what I mean ripped uh, up and down and torn inside out by people by by everyone everyone has an opinion so whether you're in the squad or not in the squad uh, I mean, this has happened for so many players throughout the years it will continue to happen it's par for the course you've got to just uh, be extremely selfish in how you want to respond and and I'm, I'm confident he will respond But are some players better at dealing with, with those knockdowns than others like say you're you're having a you know without naming names you know you're, you're meeting La, La Rochelle players and you're having to give bad news to some players are you thinking in your head okay he, he's going to take this okay but, but he mightn't be be too great taking this news like is it a very individualistic thing yeah it is of course but also there's different I suppose levels to it and the fact that I'm dealing with club players you're dealing with test animals they're mm. different there's there's a reason they're test players because their fundamentals are strong so mentally a lot of test players are, are, are stronger than, than club players for a good reason so I think um, yeah players are will have a have a process and they'll have a uh, mental skills coach and they'll be able to I suppose um, air their dirty laundry was probably the word we use in our time and and get everything off their chest but once you get that off your chest you can't continue to moan and grumble you got to kind of see the opportunities and make a plan for it but I can guarantee you it won't be just all rosy you now he's going to have to um, make a plan and, and obviously what has changed is that um, he doesn't have momentum or he he's not the incumbent in the team anymore. So usually in that scenario, um, you have to do probably 20 or 30 percent more than the guys that are, are picked ahead of you. But I think uh, his the growth in his game, I think that window is, is very evident that when he's humming, he's very, very, very interesting. What, and conversely, obviously, the other two lads, Ross Byrne and Jack Crowley, are uh, licking their chops and sure this morning and seeing that the path has suddenly opened up in front of them a little bit. What's your sense of what the best mix of, who's the best 
of those two to have as a replacement to Johnny Sexton if he's fit starting the Six Nations? Um, that's 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 an interesting question. I think if we're starting a game um, tomorrow, Ross Byrne, I just think that uh, um, he's improved dramatically. Um, and that's a strong word, but I would think that's... Um, I think he warrants that. I think his core skills are underappreciated. And I think what is evident is in that position more so is the response he gets from his players. I think when he plays in blue or when Leinster play in blue or whether they play in blue or white, when the Leinster play, there's utmost trust in 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 um, in Ross Byrne. When he plays for Ireland, and that's probably down to probably not getting a run of games as well, um, that trust isn't there. Um because it's it's harder to earn it, I suppose, against people that you're not uh, training with every day of the week. But um, if Ross Byrne can transfer his Leinster form into an Irish form, it's um, he's very very um, uh, shrewd at managing games. Um, I suppose where the the question marks arise are uh, just in terms of you have one guy who's world class at the other end of the spectrum in terms of. Um, managing a team and driving standards and then you have two other uh, is rookie rookies maybe it's probably too strong a word for, for driving a team at, at, at international level but this Six Nations it's uh, it's going to be imperative that uh, the, number, the the backup tens get uh, a lot of game time I know you'd said in this show before Ronan that Jack Crowley was someone you'd You'd wanted to, to get over to France to La Rochelle. Like, can we take from that then that people like Ross Byrne, you know, th- there's opportunities there for players like Ross Byrne potentially down the line to to make moves abroad as well. Is that something that you've kind of had in the back of your head as well? What are you trying to say? <laughs> you want me to sign Ross Byrne this morning? Is it? <laughs> you don't have to sign him. You know, we can we can get the we can get the the, the process started. I guess there's <laughs> like you're talking about the number one ranked team in the world. These are serious quality players. They're in. There's there's shows demand for them. But Leinster are the most consistent team in Europe, whatever the last number, ten years, and and they're looking to uh, drive the game to new standards. And they want Ross Byrne central to that. Like, people are smart. They're not going to be just just because. Um, you mean Ross Byrne is is playing. Uh, the backup role to Johnny Six and it's you need two in every position and and Leinster are lucky to have both of them. You mentioned earlier on just about Keith Earls and Conor Murray and but obviously not making the monster cut and then and I'm sure there's a part of Joey Carberry this morning again that's waking up thinking, how come these lads managed to get the cut uh, make the cut for Ireland and I'm and I'm not there if it's based on form. Um what's your sense of it's all very that? Very simple. Yeah. Very simple. You you establish relationship with players uh what's I think not up for debate is that Conor Murray and Keith Earls have whatever 12 13 years of credit on big days that that counts if there's a a final tomorrow or six nations grand slam decider or world cup i in my um makeup would be leaning towards giving the nod to experience as opposed to uh a a, a really exciting young player that may win you the game but may also lose you the game i think there's more of a chance that uh, Conor Murray Keith Earls will win you a game than lose you a game 
Yeah, and he's got to strike that balance, obviously, between uh, the some of the younger players that are in there with not a hundred percent. Yeah, and that's the, that. That's that's where there's Mandy Farrell is very skilled at doing and excellent at doing. You can't have six in that category for Earls and and Murray. You can have those two, but that's two of thirty-seven. But um, you know, I mean, I think they're they're different uh, arguments for either of them mm. and the fact that Keith Earls is just uh, coming back uh, and looking to find his form again but uh, I think has the capacity to, to start a test match for Ireland easily Conor Murray is uh, obviously playing uh, back up to you know I mean the mantle has shifted to Gibson Park and um, can't have much complaints about that but uh, in terms of I suppose looking to close out a game or finish a game. Um, I suppose Connor's capacity to see that game a little bit better than Craig Casey at the minute may be the reason why they're leaning that way. Just a final one for me, Ronan. You're writing again this morning about, uh, and it's fasc- fascinating, you know, dealing with disappointments in rugby. And you're talking about the Larachelle players who you maybe had to let go last year, possibly watching the Champions Cup final against Leinster and supporting Leinster at one point last year. And I think you talk about wanting. New Zealand uh, to beat Ireland in, in 2013 it was the only time you wanted your country to lose so sport's a funny thing like, you, when you're let down and when you're disappointed y- you take that with you um, Go on explain that to me you take what with you Well I, the, gu- I guess the disappointment of, of either being dropped from a squad or from finishing your career you're left in a position where you're not necessarily Supporting, depending on how it finished with the team or with the country, you're not necessarily supporting them in big games. It's so personal, I suppose. That's that's the thing. It's it, no one, especially when you're that player, no one sees it like you see it. And it was just, I suppose, from whatever 2000 to 2013, all I ever wanted to do was to uh, beat New Zealand, you know. But unfortunately, um, how they were painted to me, having spent time there, wasn't. How I perceived them, so I obviously, obviously put them on a pedestal that they didn't need to be put on. Uh, but that's what hindsight. I didn't have hindsight in the life, and I just remember, yeah, I was working for uh, RT at that game, and I just finished, I think, that summer, and this was the November international. So, I mean, I think those first twenty-four months when you're an ex-pro are, are very difficult, uh, and then all you just question everything you stand for is kind of okay first game uh, probably second or third test match after you retire and you just see oh these guys are gonna are gonna beat New Zealand and you've tried for 13 years to beat them and you're just like oh no that can't happen today don't let that happen come on I'm in, I stand for a little bit more than that but uh, it was good learning that day uh, after that um, I was um, I mean I'd be a liar to say if I, I wasn't uh not happy, but relieved when Ryan Crotty scored that try because a draw isn't the same as as a as a loss. You know, I just didn't want Ireland to uh, to beat New Zealand for the first time after I retired. Yeah, it's very selfish, but that's me. That's Bort, and that's you, and uh, that is you. Good luck at the weekend, uh, La Rochelle. Uh, Trent keeps rolling. Thanks, a million.
Cheers, lads. Good to chat. Thank you. It is uh, coming up on 8 o'clock on this uh, Friday morning. Uh, His La Rochelle team off to Northampton this weekend after that uh, narrow win over Ulster um, last weekend and uh, very much in good position in the Heineken Champions Cup as well. We're going to have Alan Quinlan on very shortly to pick up on all of that. You can uh, certainly imagine that Joey Carberry is going through right range of emotions this morning that, uh, you know, his... um, We've definitely gone from a position where he was guaranteed number two no question about him ever being number one as long as Johnny Sexton was on the radar and in some regards everybody anybody who comes after Johnny Sexton or anybody who's competing for his position it's a really unfair benchmark because he's you know been in the conversation about being the best out half in the world for um, the best part of the last decade he's been in that conversation so it's a very unfair benchmark I do feel even reading between the lines of what Ronan is saying in relation to Jack Crowley particularly that he it feels like he's the heir apparent to be honest now look at yeah. I know that we have lumped on from uh, Ian Madigan to um, Billy Burns to like you know whoever you're having yourself yeah. uh, the range of the, the Harry Byrne Ross Byrne the, I've been all been in the mix at some point or Ben Healy when he was going really well for Munster when he came on the scene and that ain't happening of course but so I'm sure he's gone through the right ringer this morning of all the range of emotions I'm sure there's the public aspect to it as well like I mean you know um, it plays out so so bloody publicly mm. um, you know very hard for him to get through all of that I'm sure um, and even for this weekend does he start against Toulouse or does Graham Rountree see the way the wind is blowing and um, put Jack Crowley in there for we him he see. needs to start doesn't he I mean you're thinking from yeah. Joey Carberry's perspective the best thing for him is well he's knocking on Graham Rountree's door going I don't care what happens this weekend yeah. put me in that team it's <laughs> a, it's the one weekend where and he doesn't seem overly look at I don't know what sort of a character Joey Carberry is behind the scenes he doesn't overly seem on the pitch as if and look at again this is an, an yet another I'm adding to the unfair comparisons with Johnny Sexton but he doesn't seem like that same player who's got that major force of personality to be yeah. barking and roaring at people around him so I can't imagine he's barking and roaring at Graham Rountree but you would think of any week he's in there knocking on the door going put me in coach <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not having a debate about it Ah. Uh. Has to. I'd love to see Joey Carberry play this weekend and play really well. Um, I think everyone would. He, like, he, it's not. It's not the end of Joey Carberry. We were saying it yesterday, as Ronan said, thirty what, thirty forty odd caps. He's got so much experience that he'll be back. And look, that that was the point I was trying to make. Those injuries, I think, have have built a, an even stronger uh, Joey Carberry psychologically. So I think he, I think this could be the start of something even positive for Joey Carberry. As strange as that may, may sound this morning for him. Uh, David O'Connor good morning to you David O'Connor Gareth self-awareness is fantastic no wonder he's an excellent coach Des Kirby is it a sign of how well Irish rugby is doing that we now have rival nations taking players uh, Healy and Cooney he says well Healy anyway I don't think uh, Scotland have come in for Cooney just yet and if you listen to uh, the thoughts of um, journalists from Scotland it doesn't seem like as if there's going to be too much interest in him down the track we shall see Mark McGillow-Owen wondering surely Cullum is to be on uh, to come on to talk about Murray yesterday what a match <laughs> Well, we'd have to raise him out of the bed, Mark, because he's, uh, he's on a day off. We ain't coming in. He's, uh, but I agree. I said it to him yesterday. Oh. you got to come in. This is... Oh, you know, what a game. Haven't it? Jesus. Bobby Dwyer says, easy to say Conte needs a sack, but uh, what's going to change? Problem is the board, Redknapp, Poch, Barino, Conte, not all backed when they needed to be, and uh, needed at least three more quality starters in January. I think that's a, a very fair point. Right, Alan Quinlan standing by. Back after these. OTB... AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Just gone 8 o'clock, you're watching Go to be AM. Myself and Shane with you until 10 this morning. Alan Quinlan, good morning to you. 
Morning, lads. How are you? Good, good. Uh, we've just been talking to Ronan Agar, obviously, about the obvious uh, in the Ireland squad. What is your sense of... Um, like, does Joey Carberry... He obviously needs a bit of an arm around the shoulder now from Graham Rountree. Is he going to get that in the shape of... Is he going to be? Is he going to start this weekend? That's what I'm trying to ask you. Yeah, I presume he will start. Um, I think it's obviously very disappointing for him and uh, it's going to be debated for, for a couple of weeks now before... Um, certainly be probably the, the rest of this week and the weekend and next week a lot of people will be riding on us as well and uh, um, I think he just needs to the best thing you can do when you're dropped is to is to, is to get a performance go out and play again and try and um, try and put it behind you a little bit maybe it'll be it'll be the reaction that he needs um, I think he's been playing pretty well this year with Munster Um it's hard to kind of fault his performances and say he's been playing, you know, well below par or anything like that. That's not the case. But I think it's more a case of Ross Bourne just playing really well and and and, and Jack Crowley. Um, I think they they obviously see something in Jack Crowley that's that's um, impresses them. I think his attitude, his physicality, um, and also Ross Bourne. You know, he's. He was probably written off after, you know, a couple of years ago when he played against England a couple of times and Ireland's pack was dominated. So I think since, you know, coming on for that 20 minutes against Australia in November and kicking that win penalty and obviously playing really well with Leinster is um, has benefited him as well. So uh, it's unfortunate for Joey Carvey. I just, I do, I, I do worry a little bit. Um, it's going to affect him one way or the other here. Mm to a reaction or will it really dent his confidence and the perception of, of the player as well and if he feels that perception that and becomes more vulnerable but he's an outstandingly talented player and we we probably have spoken a lot about um, you know seeing that kind of full 80 minute performance from Joey Carberry and that that is zip in his game that we know he has um, so it's disappointing um, I've experienced it a lot. I just listened to Ronan there. He probably didn't have to experience being dropped a lot. Um, but it happens to, to players. And just look what happened. Gavin Coombs in November, he's he's a younger player, less experienced. Joey Carberry's 37 caps for Ireland. But um, I think you could also argue that... Um, you know, are they all form selections? And I'm sure you're going to probably talk about uh, Conor Murray and Keith Earls as well and maybe Jacob Stockdale that they're not form selections, but they're more gut selections from a coach and a coach has to have the, the leeway to be able to do that. And you'll always get some coaches who, most coaches will do that. Players they trust and, and they look at the bigger picture of what they can bring. But for Joey Carberry, I, I really hope that it has, it's a negative situation now for him, but he he just needs to go now and play for Munster and maybe maybe it'll take a little bit of pressure off him. Yeah, that that key that's the key point almost that you made there. On one side, he can acknowledge what's going on, see what a pivotal moment it is it is in his career, and want to go out and because it's such a big moment, almost force it too much. Like it's hard to can you find a freedom, Quinny, or did, in your experience, did you find a freedom out of something like that, or did it tighten you up a bit? Um it it, it the, the initial part of it, Adrian, is really tough and frustrating because players will say and sports people will say, well, 
you know, we don't listen to the outside world and we don't read the papers, but you feel all that kind of scenario and you feel the spotlight on you and you kind of go, what do my teammates think of me? Um, well, that's the way I thought of it. I was like, God, um, you know, this is, it's, it's so difficult to take and, and how am I going to react to it? And, and it's hard at times. Um, but I think once you accept it, um, and I'm sure Joe, you uh, you mentioned about Graham Rountree offering him support, um, but it's also you know Mike Prendergast who he's 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 backs coach in Munster um, to look at what he can do better and how he can play with that bit of freedom. And I saw somewhere online someone making a comment, um, just a rugby supporter saying that you know we've um, there's been a, a lot of talk about Joey Carberry for years trying to get him more structured. Um, and 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 kind of you know maybe now that this will loosen him up a little bit as you say and and make him just not overthink it and overanalyze it so so it can work both ways you just don't know but I think he does need a bit of support and and I tell you the the best support you can get is from 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 teammates you know even a text message uh, players putting giving you a little tap on the shoulder and say look keep the head up we still believe in you you know you get back. Um, and you start to re- rebuild yourself again. So it's disappointing. But the, the good thing for Joey Carberry is um, the World Cup is not for, you know, not till September. And it can change very, very quickly. You know, there can be an injury or two. He could be starting a Six Nations game by the end of it. Who knows? And one performance there just changes everything. So um, he's just got to keep believing and, and the support is really important for him. So... I think initially it's really tough to take and you start questioning yourself, am I good enough? Um, what do people around me, uh, the, the players think of me? Um, do they trust me? Do they believe in me as well? So I think it's it's you've got to obviously feel a bit of pain, but um, going to Toulouse on Sunday isn't your ideal scenario for a bounce-back solution, you know what I mean? Because um, it's, it's a really tough place to go, but he's just got to try and focus and um, and and get his performance right, and hopefully the team play well. Monster out there as well from his point of view. I suppose, Quinny, the most surprising thing that I took from it yesterday morning was that it wasn't a surprise for a lot of people. A lot of people saying, you know, Ross Byrne and, and Jack Crowley are, are there on merit in Andy Farrell's squad. Uh, like when you heard the news yesterday, were you were you surprised that Carberry hadn't made it? I was surprised, and my first thought, Shane, was how how will this affect the player and. And we actually need Joey Carberry. Um, you know, that, that that's what I'm thinking is is there it's a big call from Andy Farrell, but the other two players, and you've got to acknowledge this, they deserve to be there. Mm. I think. Um but my worry then is how will it affect Joey Carberry? Like he's he's not the most expressive, dominant, uh vocal player we see in a field. Um that's not the way he kind of um, goes about his business or his, it's not his temperament. Um, but I, I was surprised in a sense that, and w- but, but, but when you peel it back then and you look at the merits of, 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 of uh, Jack Crowley and, and Ross Byrne, um, you think, well, we shouldn't be that surprised because, you know, I think Munster have had a really good run recently. I think they've won six of their last eight games and he's played pretty well in all those games um, there's a mistake or two in there and I think 
when you when you analyze um probably Joey Carberry's game a little bit he there's a little bit of lateral running still in there um being square going to the line and, and taking contact and you know making some line breaks and going into the physical side of it hasn't been um probably that zip and spark is 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 we're still looking for it a little bit he shows glimpses of it um, so I was surprised in a sense that, but when you peel it back and you look at the log- logistics of it and the logic behind the, the selection, and look, it's probably, I know it's it's Andy Farrell's team, but you know Mike Cat as the backs coach would have a big say in 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 the type of backs he wants and the type of game they're they're going to play and the attack they're going to implement. But um, he's just got to dust himself down and keep saying that. And um, it's far from the end of the world. It's far from. Uh, you know, a disaster, I think. Um, and this could, if, if if dealt with in the right way, could be, it could even galvanise more support for you sometimes from the, from the fans, you know what I mean? If you mm. come back and you have a game, people are, you can nearly feel the, the crowd or the support wanting you to do well again because he's a very popular player with his teammates and, and with Irish rugby fans. But, um, you know, let's hope he, he, you know, gets a performance on Sunday and, um, you know, plays for Munster then probably the week after and, and he's going to have lots of involvements now and um, gets back on track. Yeah, and as you say, we'll have plenty of time to talk about the flip side of that as well as the positive knock-on for Byrne and for uh, Crowley as well down the track. We'll come back to it. Uh, one of the players who's been sort of ditched out, like the... the Perhaps the Carberry thing, apart from anything else, is a good message and a reminder to everybody else in the squad about, like, you know, you're not, you're guaranteed nothing here. Gavin Coombs is obviously one of those who's been through that quinny in the last number of months, um, and then comes up with like a man of the match performance last weekend, uh, gets included in the squad. I read a quote there from Sean Klein this week saying, comparing him to CJ Stander um, around his work rate and stuff like that. What's what has impressed you about Gavin Coombs most recently? I just think more involvement in the game and I think that stuff he would have been working on with the coaches and, and the feedback you get when you do your analysis he's an incredible athlete he's 6 foot 4 or 5 and you know probably 115 kilos and powerful and, and has has pace and real footballing ability I think more involvement in the game for him and the more times you can get an athlete like that with the ball in their hands the better I think if you compare uh, him to probably one of the best players in the world at the moment and Caelan Doris I think there's no reason why um, Gavin Coombs can't it's 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 a big ceiling because Doris has been outstanding but if you watch Doris's game it's just it's just multiple multiple backup moments all the time tackles uh, turnovers the breakdown carries offloads uh, regular regular involvements and you want your number eight with the ball in his hand a lot because he's a pivotal carrier for you. Um, and I think Gavin Coombs has has probably gone back to basics a little bit and just looked for more ball, probably got fitter and sharper in what he's doing. Um, scores a lot of tries. A lot of these tries are picking goals because he's very difficult to defend. So that's one of his strengths. You wanted to keep building on that. And if you get close to the line with, with any team Gavin Coombs is on, you want him picking. So, um, Is he making a World Cup squad? Um, it depends. I think he's de- he's definitely in the mix. He's definitely right up there, and he's giving himself a real shot here. But I think he's got to bring um, a little bit more of an aggressive kind of temperament to, to his game, um, a little bit of no nonsense, and a bit of 
kind of body language that indicates um, he's he's um, he's not going to take any rubbish or crap from anyone, and that he's going to you know be explosive in his defensive work and and his carries. So look, I think he has that ability to to to, to really for his game to grow more and more. Um, but you have to, as a background, particularly, I don't think it's ever changed, but in, in more so in the modern game, you've got to have multiple uh, successive involvements and regular involvements because, you know, obviously playing in the background and um, watching back row players, they can they can really, really influence games in, in such a positive way for your team by pressurising the opposition, making tackles, turnovers. And then the flip side of that, if you have your back row making lots and lots of carries in a game, well, you're usually in a good place and you're usually in 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 a position to to be winning games. So, um, I, I said I said again, just Doris, the influence he has in games and the special moments he has. Gavin Coombs has that ability. Um, it just needs to, and they're different players. It's pro- I don't want to sound unfair and say Gavin Coombs has to be like. Um, <laughs> excuse me Kaelin Doris uh, spot on like him he doesn't he just needs to obviously I think he has an ability to be you know an incredible ball carrier carrier on wider channels as well if he runs onto the ball at pace and he's a very difficult player to stop so um, it's a big opportunity for him he needs to train well and he needs to train with a bit of an attitude and, and actually not be in the Irish squad saying well look I'm nice and comfortable here in the back row selected and um you know he needs to fight for a place here and 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 make him, make his presence felt in, in in training as well. Must be tough for players Quinny who are who are on the outside of the squad or the fringes of the squad wondering you know does Andy Farrell want form or does he want you know players who are who have that experience because you mentioned the likes of Stockdale um and he really has been quite poor of late for Ulster I know there's been injuries that have hampered him as well but I mean, players on the fringe of that squad must be looking in, going, "How do? How did some of these lads get in?" I, when I'm playing really well for my province, I'd say it's frustrating for some players. So you could argue, Shane, and it's a good point that some players could pick up the phone and say, "Well, there's certain guys in the squad that I don't think they're playing well in the last few weeks." Mm. And you know, I've sat down with coaches over the years and said, "Well, um, you know, why aren't you starting me? I'm playing well, and the guys ahead of me are not." you know their form isn't brilliant at this particular moment not not consistently because obviously you're not going to be in an Irish squad if um, if you're not a good player and if you're not able to deliver at an international level and this sometimes we see with young players coming in for a period of time and they need to you know go back to their provinces and play more and gain more experience and develop more but yeah there's and he'll know that Andy Farrell but I think if you if you there's no r- incredible, notable omission here that somebody is not in the squad that could be doing that situation that re- has a really, really, really strong argument. Um, I think Kieran Treadwell and Nick Timoney can feel a little bit um, unfortunate. Um, they would be disappointed, obviously, but it, it does go back to your provincial team and how they're playing as well and collectively... Um, you know, I think he's looked at, at Jacob Stockdale and, and seen that um, that he's probably gone with a, a gut feeling there, and 
And when this player has an ability to, you know, score brilliant tries, he's delivered before. He was outstanding in 2018, um, scoring tries for Ireland. Uh, an incredible year it was, and and he was pivotal in that. Um, recently, you know, we haven't we haven't seen that spark from Jacob Stockton. So I think it's it's trying to give the player a chance and a shot of confidence as well that he's brought back in there. And the coaches do need. Um, whether we as players agree or not or the fans agree or not they need to have leeway to to go with their gut in some decisions and it, it can be hard for other players um, you know Kieran Treadwell has left out of the squad he was a very important player in New Zealand and he's not in the squad now you know Ian Henderson is back Joe McCarthy is in there James Ryan and Ty Bourne they're the locks um, so you know Caelan Blade could be arguing saying well if it's picked on form, why 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 are, am I not in the squad? And, and you know, I I should be in the squad. And Conor Murray hasn't played much lately, and he's not been picked by Munster now. So there's lo- there's a couple of arguments in there. There's no doubt about it. Mm. Um, Jordan Larmer being back in the squad is a form selection. Obviously, it's one that jumps out. It's brilliant to have him back. Because um, when you look at all our back three players, I think you know, and that's maybe benefited Jacob Stockdale. There's <sighs> You know, particularly in the wing situation, there's there's the depth there and the and and the amount of players that you can select from isn't kind of jumping off the page. Um, Mike Haley can feel a little bit unfortunate, but I still think he's he's he has their attention, and I think he's played very well for Munster. Everybody would acknowledge that, and he may may, may still be a, sh- a shot for a World Cup. The time is running out for guys who are outside the picture here. Mm. Um, who haven't played in a while because you have three warm-up games. I think one of them is after the squad has been picked. Um, you have five, six Nations games. So um, it's a very strong squad and it's a squad that I think by and large, 99% of it, you know, is picked um, and and with players who can, and can deliver performances. Uh, but it's still... You know, the World Cup is is um, where we want to see performances in the form. I still still think they'll obviously want to do well in the Six Nations, but you know, we're we're all a bit skeptical and a little bit nervous, particularly what happened in 2019. So um, it's it's uh, it's tough for some players, but it's an exciting kind of journey now in the next few months. And I would say the door is not closed on anyone. I mean, all coaches say that, but I think. Um, you for for players who are not in it, the Ulster players, those guys, they've got to go out and perform and try and get their team winning again. Yeah, well, if Carberry goes on and is a man of the match performance on Sunday, uh, suddenly everybody's <laughs> the, the clamour is back on again, and we'll uh, we'll see exactly how that how that plays out. But as you say, look, there's 14 players to come out of that for a match day squad alone, not to mind the World Cup. And when Hedgehog comes back, there'll be five of those players that won't even uh, be included in in the reduced World Cup squad. So plenty uh, for to us to get our teeth in uh, over the next few months. Anyway, Quinny, just talk to us a little bit about Sunday. No Jack O'Donoghue, of course, suspended, um, and clearly missed out in the Ireland squad uh, nine points from three games for Munster sixth in the pool top eight to go through the connotations we're not sure about and but they'll know what they have to do before kick off in that game unthinkable that Munster wouldn't go through they need it um, yeah they need to go through I, I wouldn't say it's unthinkable because I think um, the probably um, the expectation has, has, has shifted this year particularly with the start of the season they've had and nobody expects Munster to go and win the European Cup. I think being in the knockout stages would be really important for them. 
Um, we've seen from you know the reports, RG Snyman is back, back training. Um, what a boost he would have uh, that would be for Munster to have him back, to have a dog bow back training. Thomas Ahern, Finneen Witcherly, um, to get some of some of those powerful, a little bit more power back in the squad. Um, come the knockout stage, and I think you know the way they're playing and the way they're developing. I think they'd still they'd make a you know they'd make it for difficult for somebody. Most probably they'll be away if they get if they get through. They're going to be down in that six, seven, eight position if they get through. But um, I think the results that they they need Stormers to beat Clermont um, because um, that'll push them down. Clermont are on six points and um, and and they're away to Stormers. Um, if Sale were to beat Ulster with a bonus point, um, they could go to ten points. So there's a couple of results there. The Montpellier London Irish game. Montpellier are on seven points. Um, they've got London Irish at home, so you expect them. They're going to get probably four to five points there and, and go up. So um, I think there's there's just a couple of results there that could push Munster out of it. It could happen, and we've seen stranger things and in, in, in this situation a number of times over the years when you get to the last Euro- European game. But um, they will know what they've got to do. Uh, but I expect Toulouse, who are top of the pile, um, they'll want to finish top. And they'll pick a strong team. They always do. And, you know, they're pretty ruthless as well. So it's a pretty daunting task for them. But Munster will know what they have to do. And and uh, maybe it will suit them a little this game that they um, they can just throw caution to the wind a little bit, which which um, may help them. Uh, but, you know, they may need a losing bonus point here. It may mm. be the situation. And, and that's probably the advantage that they'll know. But... Um, they've just got to go for it, but it's going to be very, very difficult to beat Toulouse out there. Ulster did last year um, when Malia Cruz was sent off for Toulouse and it, it made it uh, a, probably an easier situation. Ulster were hanging on in, in, right at the end of the game. And obviously in the return fixture, they came back and beat them in Belfast, which which cost Ulster. So, um, yeah, you'd never know. You'd never know. But I think I, w- I would worry about the power because you're playing one of the most physical sides in Europe mm. and uh, away from home. Um, but let's see where Munster are at. I think they're, they're, you know, their confidence and their self-belief has increased a lot. Uh, Leinster Racing obviously tomorrow afternoon at the Aviva and Leinster looking to nail home advantage for the, all the knockout stages if they can manage a win there and Racing hanging on after beating Quinns at the weekend and still in the hunt then for the last 16 and I mean we spent a lot of the morning obviously talking about Joey Carberry and I think that's legitimate for the day that's in it we'll spend a lot more time talking about uh, Ross Byrne and on but I'm sure he's got a real pep in his step now Quinny and a real sort of chest out and been backed by all around him sure getting loads of plaudits pats on the back and a big opportunity for him now as well to uh, put a stamp on this one a lot of focus on him. Yeah, there is. There's no doubt. And you know, when 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 I played, uh, you know, for Munster, for for you know, in, in when we were successful winning European Cups, I think we had 16, 17, 18, 19 Munster guys in Irish squads um, consistently. Leinster have twenty guys in the squad, so this is. Um, you know that this there's, there's huge kudos in that as well. Going into training, seeing twenty guys uh, from your team that are in the national squad, there, there's a lot of pride in that, and I think they all will have a spring in their step. And 
for Ross Byrne, yeah, of course, he's going to be delighted. Um, he's back from the, the wilderness a little bit. And it's a real confidence booster and a perception changer for him as well. So, you know, they've been absolutely ruthless this year, you know, to get three bonus point wins. And the manner in which they won the games, um, you know, you could debate the opposition, particularly the Gloucester game. You know, the, the team they sent over in December was pretty shocking, to be honest. But understandable in the sense that they were probably going to be beaten anyway. But I think the performance in round one against Racing over there just highlighted the difference here with this Leinster squad and, and their ability to play, their skill levels, the pace, the tempo, um, the fitness levels. So I think it's really this competition is theirs to lose at this stage. Um, they're probably they're going to be at home um, all the way to the final. So it's going to take a special performance for someone to beat them. Um, I don't think Rassing are going to you know, Rassing are on eight in Pool A and five points. Um, I don't think they're going to get anything out of this game and and possibly won't make the knockout stages. The the advantage for them is the teams behind them are are pretty abysmal as well. Gloucester behind them, Leon on five points, and Leon are on three points. So um, Rassing could miss out in the knock on on the knockout stages themselves here. So it's I think Leinster will will just probably take it to another level given the game is on the Aviva as well and um, as I said they'll be full of confidence and and joy this week that 20 breaking up a small bit there Quinny I think we might have lost you are you with us you're there you're back give us give us a just very briefly if you can obviously with uh, Ulster up against Sale obviously as well uh, tomorrow night uh, so the Leinster game the Ulster game and the Munster game you're not it doesn't sound like you're talking about three Irish wins there situation for Ulster playing at 8 o'clock on Saturday night and there'll be a bit of anger a bit of bite in in, in in their, their, what they're trying to do and they're playing for you know possibly get into the knockout stages they're only on three points so bonus point win is a must for them so I think Ulster will win the game I think Leinster will obviously beat Racing and you never know what happens uh, in, in Toulouse but you'd have to say that Toulouse are going to be very very difficult to stop and will most probably beat Munster but I have a feeling Munster could cause them a few problems and uh maybe get something and score some tries when they're there mm. alright let's see how it goes Quinny thanks a million enjoy the games cheers thanks lads thanks a lot Alan Quinlan on the line there 28 minutes past 8 on uh, Friday morning you're watching OTBM we're delighted to have you with us wherever it is that you're at the comments are flying in we're brought to you live each morning of course by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day I have one on YouTube here saying that uh, Derek Flag Banner says, two rugby slots is crazy. Um, there was a Premier League match last night and a weekend of soccer coming up, says Derek Flag Banner, who sort of forgets that the show is two and a half hours long and there's plenty of time to get stuck into whatever the hell we want to get stuck into, including the football upcoming, Derek Flag Banner. Sit tight. We're going to talk about that in uh, not that long. We'll have Martin Lipton on to reflect on City Spurs last night and to look ahead to um, everything else as well. A few more comments coming in. Bam, 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 bam. Before we hit the ads, I think, and then come back 
and uh, chat some football and some other stuff. We're going to keep chatting the football and some other stuff. Is that that's what we're doing? Very good. Uh, <laughs> some of the comments coming in here. We have uh, O'Toole, 1905. Uh, Carberry's had multiple chances under Farrell and proved that he isn't uh, at the top, uh, at that top international level. Maybe Byrne and Crowley aren't ready. Maybe, but Joey has used all his lives. Paul Heenan saying, I would think, uh, lads, that Byrne... Bum, 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 bum. I would think, lads, that Byrne has got the nod as Leinsterbrook equally as impressive with him at 10 as they do with Sexton. If he can bring that over to the Irish team, happy days. And I've been saying it for a while, he definitely has a boot that would grace any World Cup. And um, he's been sort of a probably unfairly labelled with this, like, sort of um, doesn't have the X factor. Mm sort of stuff which is one of these intangibles that people tend to use in sport that's hard to kind of benchmark where is he on the X Factor scale today but um, it's also a really nice mix that if you were to go down the old X Factor route that Jack Crowley has has loads of that Sexton obviously sort of seems to straddle all X Factor game management whatever you want whatever big personality but it seems to be that's why I was kind of interested in Ronald Garris that question about who who would you put in as the backup and he said at this moment I'd go for Ross Byrne which also felt to me like in a couple of years it's probably going to be Jack Crowley, but mm. just for that blend of you know. Um, but then equally, Crowley, if he has got the X factor and we need somebody to come on and squeeze out a game, it depends on where it depends on who you're playing. Yeah. Maybe there's just an aspect of horses for courses here. I think, like if if if, if Ireland are playing in the World Cup semi final tomorrow and Johnny Sexton comes off, I think it is Ross Byrne that comes on. Mm. Like I don't think there's many arguments against that. Like. As someone on the YouTube comment points, points out, like when, when Ross Byrne is playing for Leinster, the level doesn't seem to go down a whole pile. Mm. I know Sexton brings that experience and, and what, what have you, but it's certainly Ross Byrne being on the pitch for Leinster with a, with a strong 15 elsewhere doesn't seem to bring the level down at all. Yeah, I, I have to say, I, I was I was on the school run yesterday and I was tuned in um, and you were reading out the squad while you had Ken Doherty on yeah, and yeah. I was like... Did, did my line just break up there a second? Where's Joe, where's Joey Garber? Yeah, what? Yeah. Has he, and it didn't, has even, he been, it didn't even strike me when I was. Has he been injured? Because, yeah. But but just from a like, I was really surprised about it. Yeah. Like, I think it's probably not the wrong call, but equally, it didn't seem like it was a path that Andy Farrell was that willing to go down. Mm, Cameron Hill called it on the show. Was it the day he? before? He said he, he thinks Carberry will miss out in the squad, and he feels that there'd be a, a mix of of Burning uh, Crowley throughout the Six Nations. I mean, it's a big call. Mm. Apparently, he was throwing the fist out in the office. Fist when, to kill. When well, that's named. that's that's very um, correct. Uncharitable of him. A bit like Raj supporting Ryan Crotty's try in 2013. You know, it's a, you don't feel good about it, but you're giving it the mm. large one. Um, um, uh, listening from Dubai, lad says uh, Keen Rowe Spurs have an unbelievable amount of average talent in that team. Players who can't control a pass or handle any pressure. Emerson talked to them a couple. Uh, comment there, Adrian Mark Dunning. Adrian, how confident are Croaks ahead of Sunday? Well, I don't know how confident Croaks are ahead of Sunday. We'd have to ask them that yourself. Fibre in the club. Well, I you presume know? you're asking me how confident I am. Um, confident are you? I, 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 I was listening to the Club Championship show, the wonderful Club Championship show during the week with Will and Ashling and. Um, Morris Brosnan mm-hmm. and Morris was sort of saying that he felt it was going to be a one or two point game and it's really hard to get away from that I think apart from anything else it's not going to be a particularly high scoring game yeah. um, I think that like uh, Glenn obviously um, they're bo- they both have shown remarkable uh, remarkable abilities to be very pragmatic mm. is that how I might word that it couldn't it might not be the greatest spectacle, spectacle in the earth but I think it'll be good for drama um, yeah. I do think it'll be good for drama I think that it will be interesting to see how Croaks try to get a handle on Conor Glass it'll be fascinating to see 
I don't expect Paul Mannion to start, I must say. Uh, mm. I do fully expect him to play a significant role. I do expect him to get 20, 25 minutes at the end of the game, particularly, yeah. and as absolutely expected. I can't see any scenario other than it's really tight going down the stretch and Croaks are looking to get Walsh in a position to pull off one of his, like... He tends to try. I I I challenge one of the TV companies to put, to just do Shane Walsh cam for a game for mm. a club game. Honestly, it's fascinating. Watch. I've been at this. I think it'll be my fifth uh, club game to go and see Croaks uh, this year, and you just you end up watching him. And yeah. what he does, and like I've said it a lot, but he's back in the full back line, snuffing out chances. There was one brilliant chance uh, in the semi final that that he went back and snuffed out, like class defender, yeah, class defender. Shame watch, <laughs> honestly, he could easily pick up a position in uh, uh, Philly McMahon type, Lee Keegan type role. Honestly, he's that good in defence, but obviously he's got a bit going on at the other a little well. bit silky. Um, so I expect it to be tight, and I expect you know the last minute of added time. Walsh get the ball about you know forty yards out at a good bit of an angle and it'll just craft this unbelievable point over the post. Yeah, I think the, the All Ireland semi final last year will have helped the quarter final semi final coming up against our man Derry. He's used to the little tight yeah. nit- nitty Ulster defenders, which Glenn will bring in spades. I don't know who they put on him, but I mean, the way Glenn play football, they don't give you much space. Mm. The way Malachy Rourke plays football, they don't give you much space. They'll try and catch Kilmacott on the break as well. I, yeah, I I can't see anything but a couple of points in it. I was looking to see could you get through a whole show without mentioning Malik O'Rourke. <laughs> Straight in there. <laughs> no, no, no. I couldn't not mention you, Malik you, so you, uh, Yeah, but you're going for Glenn. Uh, as in who I think will win. I think I think Glenn will come out on top. Um, chain. That's, that's I, I've been saying it from the from the outside of the Ulster Championship, Adrian. I can't I can't go you back. You can't now. jump ship now. No, no. Ah, no. look at it, and and nobody would be surprised with that outcome. I don't think you know, particularly Crokes obviously um, have had their card marked after last year's final when there was great expectations and they came up that bit short in the end. Like that'll probably be a key driver. We know that Robbie Brennan keeps the uh, screensaver on his phone, and I'm sure that I'm sure, of course, it's a motivating factor for them. Um, but I'm I must say I'm really looking forward to now bringing the two, two young kids again and. Uh, I'm going to play your game of um, you were recommended during the week that try and spot something in the stadium and oh yeah I spy with my little I spy, eye yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, something beginning, beginning with M it's Malachi O'Rourke I'll just keep, <laughs> keep, keep M I could be struggling <laughs> uh, we, that might keep them going the for the whole might, game you see, uh, they'll get bored of that well Robbie Brennan was saying hopefully you don't have a, a Glenn or Moy Cullen uh, this was before Glenn and Moy Cullen played in the, the second semi, semi-final hopefully I don't have a, a you know Glenn player or manager lifting the trophy on my screensaver for the next 12 mm, months mm. Um, that would make probably me and Robbie Brennan the only people with a well, Malachy O'Rourke screensaver yeah, 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 yeah. 100% um, <laughs> there's no arguments there uh, Doris is twice the player Coombs is, says Mark uh, that was in uh, response to Quinny's point about uh, Coombs opportunity Justin Flynn says seeing as you continue to ignore Connacht home tie guaranteed in the next round should win away to Newcastle and hopefully Bundy Aki will start another player who is probably slightly lower down the pecking order of players who's been um, I don't know, quite ousted uh, from his position at Connacht, but certainly um, under pressure there. Paul Quirk, maybe the best thing for someone like Harbury is to not play if the others don't perform during the Six Nations and he might jump straight to number two when it comes to the World Cup crunch decision due to experience. Reverse into the position, I think, Paul, is what you're suggesting mm. there. Yeah. Um, Kieran O'Connor, as long as Sexton, Gibson, Park and Keenan are not starting every game, I'm happy. I presume that just means that... He's not a Leinster fan there anyway. No, I, 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 that's possible, but I presume what... I don't know, Kieran. you might get in t- touch again. But what I'm really out of that is that you want to see other players get a bit of experience in those positions. Oh, maybe it's... Yeah, he's, he's being the As big man As opposed to your yeah, anti, okay. anti-Leinster bias. That's, that's what I straight which away Which has come thought. to the fore there. Yeah. A bit too quickly, Shane. Well, Connor's right. a good monster in him too, isn't it? 
Uh, and David O'Connor uh, says Stockdale has already proved himself to be a world class player we need him to step up in the Six Nations and if he comes anywhere near the 2018 form he will be valuable uh, valuable World Cup inclusion the other thing about these squads and it's a classic Lions conversation you spend so much time talking about 10 players who mm. are who have or haven't made the squad who get next the fringe no, players like test team yeah test game time regardless you know it's always players the, yeah, yeah. Who, who are named in the World Cup squad who might get injured, injured in the intervening period or whatever it might be and who end up don't play or get replaced or don't see any game time out there mm. that's the nature of the beast well, I'm fascinated so it's 37 man Six Nations squad I think I'm right in saying the World Cup squads have been increased from 31 to 33 from the 2019 World Cup so you're looking at 33 yeah so you're looking at four players well it'll be five squad. because Henshaw will come back into it oh, yeah. say regardless yeah. there'll be five of that to come out be interesting to hear those. It'll be fascinating to see because I mean even we haven't touched at all on um, uh, Jamie Osborne. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. Been an absolute revelation since he's come in. Like, I mean, you know, to the point where I know he's got a bit of versatility about him, but to the point where, like, I mean, you're picking that even that Leinster midfield at the minute, you're wondering, oh, which of these one? Who, who do I leave out here? Yeah. <laughs> like, what when they're all fit? Yeah. Like Gary Ringrose is man of the match every other game. Robbie Henshaw, as far as I'm concerned, is like in the top three of most important players mm. um, in an Ireland team. And then you've got this guy who's been man of the match in the Hunting Cup last weekend and is absolutely shooting the lights out burst onto the scene a bit like Michael Richards this lad yeah. Jimmy Osborne I know well I hope he in, doesn't follow that career path no 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 but everyone in Nace I think has been speaking about him for, for years but he's finally come into the, the public national consciousness Jimmy Osborne and look only uncapped player in the squad but he could do damage I'd love to see him make the World Cup squad but he's going to need a couple of games in the Six Nations and a couple of big performances you'd imagine to make it that far um, do please keep those comments coming in there's uh, plenty of them flying in uh, we're going to talk to Martin Lipton in just a little bit about the football last night and look ahead uh, to the weekend as well Emma Duggan is going to join us to uh, look ahead to the opening weekend of the little LGFA uh, National Leagues as well and uh, Meads can Meads dominance continue there's a parallel there with uh, Manchester City that I will clunkily wander into I'm sure at some point or another but uh, yeah watch. Uh, I watched the game in full last night uh, what a game watched all the analysis around it watched every soaked up every single bit of it as much as I could mm. Shane fair play uh, to you do you want a blue Peter badge um, Shane uh, was that Avatar if you missed it was an Avatar the, speaking uh, of blue yeah yeah continuing of, the theme the show. Um, I don't I have no regrets I'm not I'm not I'm not asking you to regret anything no I'm just pointing out facts Pandora facts, is the facts, name facts. of the, the planet on, on, in Avatar so I was in right. Pandora as opposed to the Eddie had so very good I mean no, regret, no regrets whatsoever. You still get to come home, yeah, stick on the highlights. Stand over your position, Shane. That's, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Fine. Read some match reports. Um, it, was, uh, it was a mad game. And, you know, like you, I think certainly as a neutral, you're kind of willing spurs on in a game like that. <laughs> you really are. And like, um, it wasn't as Pep Guardiola in his fascinating post-match interview, if you haven't seen it now, it was all Pep. He was just, Hand him the microphone and let him at it because he was, uh, he was in an exceptional form and he was spiky. And he Dose was, though. Huh? I thought he was a bit of a dose. Oh, I didn't think so. Well, go on. Well, like, the interviewer asked the, the question straight up, and it's a bit of a tongue in cheeky. He's like, "Jeez, uh, what, what did you say at half time? Players came out in the second half and they're brilliant." He wasn't actually asking him to get, reveal exactly what you said at half time. Pep just stared at him as if to say, "I'm not going to tell you what I said at, at half time." And the interviewer was like, "Well, you know, just go with the question. I'm just asking. Mm. It's, it's a question." Uh, he see he was spiky. I have no no problem with managers being spiky, but you'd swear if you, if you hadn't tuned into the game and you didn't know the result, you'd be like, oh Jesus, well, they must have lost four two. I think there's often too much made of what was God. What did you say at halftime? You must have really rose them because they came out and they were so good. At, I think that just does away with modern 
sport. Yeah. Right? Like there was a time where you'd go into the restroom and you'd layer into them and tear seven shades off them and that'd be it. And they'd go you out probably and they'd, did. they'd rip up the thing. But I think modern sport is far more about here's the iPad, right? And you're sitting down with every player and you're saying, listen, here's where you're being got at. When you tighten up over here, you need to position this way. Mm. When you get the ball, if you can play it in this. Do you know what I mean? I think it's far more about that. I think this idea of, wow, what did you say to them at halftime in modern sport is a really, it's, too a, much, it's a thought of a dinosaur in my view. Too yeah. much credit given to the managers? Is that what No, I'm not. Th- I, I say the opposite. I'm saying that like the, the manager and the coaches are in that dressing room at halftime coaching. Right. Yeah, They're not yeah, ranting and raving to. at people. Like, it's not, I, for me, it's not about like, Wow, did you did you rip them out? I'm sure it's a very GA leaning as well, isn't it? And I'm sure it goes on plenty. If he, if he was ripping the Sky Sports reporter a new one at at full time, you'd imagine at half time he was he was fairly volatile with his players at two 0 down. I he didn't. In my view, he, did, he wasn't ripping him a new one. He was just saying he 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 was he was. Your man said to him what was said at half time, and I'd say in Pep's head he was like. Well, I just did what I always do. We sat down with the players and we coached them. Like, yeah. We didn't throw what we normally do out the window just because we were 2-0 down at home against uh, against Tottenham. We actually, you know, went deeper into what we were doing. In my view, I also felt that he was really using the opportunity to hammer a message home to his players that the, the fire, the fire, where is the fire, the hunger, the guts, that where, you know, he was really calling them out to say, that, that was for me, it was the old Jose Mourinho, I'm not talking to the audience, I'm not talking to the interviewer, I'm talking to my players, and I'm saying, you need to get that fire in your belly. I don't know. He, he was walking towards that microphone with violence in his head, on the fire theme, it was a scorched earth, earth policy. <laughs> violence in his head. It, it was just, it, it was a, he was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to, like, call out the fans, I'm going to call out the players, yeah. I'm going to call out complacency in the club. I'm going to call out everything here. I'm going to get it all into four, four and a half minutes with Sky and they're all going to be talking about it and the focus will be taken off us and back to Arsenal. Why would he want the focus taken off them? Should they blitz them in the second half? Yeah, but he's clearly not happy with how his team are playing and the fact that they need to go behind to 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 win a game like that. Mm. Now, I know they took the lead against United and so they've lost games from from all sorts of positions. But even, I, I find it bizarre that he's kind of saying, he's like, we will, we will drop points soon again we will drop points oh he again. was totally saying that yeah but but I, I don't think he believes that I think he was saying that so he was basically they don't. he was basically doing what your man asked him to do he was basically doing what your man asked him to do as in revealing the conversations that he's having with his players I'm sure if he's saying that in front of the camera you can be damn sure that he's saying to the players in the cold light of day after that game lads if we do that again we're not going to win the league that's it like you know that's a powerful thing to be saying to them I think You've lost the fi- you've lost the fire. Mm. What? Jeez! Imagine every one of those players afterwards, self reflection, going, "Wow, what a second half we had! That was great." And you know, you had Mares and um, Grealish coming out afterwards and saying, "Oh, we, you know, we didn't play that bad in the first half. We were playing okay. Okay, we were two 0 down." And as players do, and you wouldn't expect anything different. They're not going to come out. It's okay for the manager to come out and be that honest. Yeah. The players don't get that. Uh, I feel like he, he was more directing it towards the fans than the players. I almost feel like, and I'm not a parent, you can maybe explain this one to me, but you know when you're, you know when you're giving out to one of your children but you're really directing it towards the other a child lot, that can't take it? Lot, yeah. and, and it's similar, wasn't it, the great uh, example of Cantona in the United dressing room that Ferguson would be tearing into some player but he was really directing it towards Cantona. Okay. But he didn't want to pick out Eric Cantona because he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't appreciate or like that. There's something similar. I feel like when he's calling out the players a little bit, he was really getting to the fans. Yeah, like the fans, the fans at City probably have got complacent. As he said, four titles in five years. 
they're probably used to winning at this stage uh, and all of a sudden a team like Arsenal have come along with the hunger they haven't won in a couple of decades and that's what's annoying him he's like mm. you, you don't just win a Premier League easily um, now City might have made it look easy over the last four, five, six years but they have to nearly have that attitude that they had in, in 2012 in the Aguero year yeah, like it's impossible to to fake that or falsify yeah. it. But I feel like players like Haaland coming in who haven't won a Premier League, mm. that surely helps. Yeah. But he wants to win a Premier League in his first year. Mm. Like if City can win the league last year, they bring in Erling Haaland and then they don't win the league. I mean, well, first of all, what does it say about the quality of the Premier League? It says a lot. Mm. It says a lot about the quality of Arsenal this season as well. So. Um, if they were to go on and not win the Premier League with someone like Haaland in their ranks from last year I will see what sort of the second half he has to the season yeah. well you called Arsenal happy. before Christmas I did I league. did I mean I'm not saying I, yeah. let's say I fully believe that sure <laughs> uh, Keen Rose says Adrian 100% spot on I'm obviously reading this comment out as opposed to any of the others world class players can figure it out themselves and get themselves up unless you're Spurs mm. um, which is an interesting way to look at it we're going to talk to Martin Lipton in just a few minutes about uh, all of this before all of that uh, that's the story that you're actually interested in there's a load of them we've created this new slot for the stories that nobody wants to hear about, it's over to Shane. I was waiting for my sting because... Um, that was a fitting start to this best, item. It's the best part of it. It's <laughs> the best part of the item is the sting. Uh, but, no, it's, I know it's your Around the world, it's called. Around and, the world. And uh, it's creating a slot for the... We couldn't find room to speak about these stories elsewhere because they're not worthwhile. Yeah. So here's a slap for the stories that not, you don't care about. Maybe some of them are feel good. You know, you want to sure. want to end your week on a high. I don't think we've ever done it on a Friday with yourself, Adrian. We were no, like, first time. This week first we time decided, you know... Long-time you know, listener, first-time caller. Yeah, yeah, do you know who'd love this slot? Adrian Barry. Let's do it with him. Mm. He'll not be sarcastic about it. He'll not give out about it. He'll, he'll just enjoy I'll it. I'll be on board. I'm a team player. Yeah, team mm-hmm. player. The first story, uh, Adrian, will take us all the way to California, United States of America, the West Coast. Um... There's a two-time Olympic gold medalist called Chloe Kim. A lot of people will be familiar with her. Some won't. Um, But she's very, very, very talented. Uh, She's 22. Youngest woman to win an Olympic snowboarding gold medal in the women's snowboard halfpipe. She was just 17 when she did that at the 2018 Winter Olympics. Um, She went on to repeat the trick then. Uh, But she is quite extraordinary. We've got a video clip that we'll bring you in just a second. So she gave a piggyback down the mountain. You'll see it on the screen here. We can talk over it. To a fellow snowboarder. This was at uh, Mammoth Mountain in California. Bit of blizzard conditions, as you can see. Um, she's holding the snowboarder's hands while they go down together. She had fallen, this snowboarder. Kim then teaches her how to roll over to get back up. Uh, she's like, all right, this is easy, light work. And windy conditions. And extremely, extremely hazardous, it has to be said. Mammoth Mountain uh, in California. Uh, typical of the conditions that you would find there. A beginner snowboarder. Mammoth Mountain. Mammoth is that what Mountain. It's called? It is. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you can imagine it's fairly big. So it's big, all right. Hence yeah. the name. Uh, there was actually a Mammoth Mountain in, in Colorado. Uh, we uh, we were climbing Mount Elbert in Colorado last summer. Mm. Tallest mountain in the in the Rockies. Just not bragging just, there. But uh, throw that in there. I, I knew there was a point to this story because it sure wasn't yeah, the yeah. actual story. Well, there she. You can see in the video she puts her on her back. Come on, and uh, there's obviously someone recording, which uh, would lead you to believe it. You could be cynical and say, well, wow, they're, they're here and recording this. Uh, but she's very, very skillful. She gets to the bottom, and, and the woman is like, thank you. And the guy's like, do you, do you have any idea who that is? She's like, nope, not a clue. That's two-time Olympic champion, Chloe Kim. 
and she decides to get a photograph with her and apparently it's not the first time that uh, Chloe Kim has helped someone in need there was people in the comments saying someone said Chloe had my nephew out of a tree well years ago we still talk about it she's the it's, best it's just going to be a trend now of people going ah oh, that time I slipped and fell Chloe Kim was there to help me out <laughs> so it, it appears to be it's like uh, you know Forrest Gump is everywhere like, mm. it appears Chloe Kim when, when someone is in trouble on a mountain Chloe Kim just appears well that is one story I don't care about so what else have we got guys I just wanted a feel good story this week we talked about it in a production meeting earlier this week did that, did that not make you feel good Adrian you're so cynical not especially ok we'll move on from California to thank you Poznan Poland um, Marcin Oleksi is the name of uh, this player he's an amputee football player uh, who's had a goal nominated for the Puskas Award FIFA's uh, award of course for the, the best goals across the, the previous calendar year uh, you've other nominees this year including Mbappe Mario Balotelli makes an appearance Richardson for his goal for Brazil in the World Cup as well is in there the current holder of the um, Puskas Award is Eric Lamella you'll remember his sensational Rabona for Spurs against Arsenal in the 2020-21 season um, and look Premier League stars have actually dominated this award we remember Stephanie Roach getting um, nominated famously and uh, the famous photos of her with Ronaldo and Messi at the award ceremony but uh, Son Heung-min Mo Salah and Olivier Giroud have all won it while playing in England in recent years um, but this goal that was nominated, Marcin Alexi, so he represented Poland at the 2022 Amputee World Cup, helping them reach the round of 16. They were edged out 2-1 by Brazil. Uh, but the goal that we're about to see on screen, we can probably pop it up on screen. This was in the, an amputee game for Poland, uh, surrounded by his Varta Poznan teammates. The ball's crossed in. It's an unbelievable finish. Oof, it has to be nice. said. That's the first time I've seen that. That is tasty. I mean, sorry. so the guy has one leg. And he's he's able to do that, flick his body basically up and, and above itself. Um, I was looking up the rules then of the so the Irish Amputee Football Association is also set up. Uh, was set up in April 2011. Um, it was first played competitively in America in the 1980s amputee football, and I know that it's going from strength to strength in Ireland. There's a couple of lads, even uh, Paul Smith from back home in Monaghan, involved with the FAI, and they're really really taking this on as a serious thing in Ireland are, are doing quite well so an amp- amputee is defined as someone who is abbreviated at or near the ankle or wrist so the rules involved in the game outfield players can have two hands but only one leg goalkeepers may have two feet but only one hand and you have those metal crutches that you'll see um, in, in the clip that we just played as well um, and use of a crutch naturally enough against a player mm. is completely frowned upon leads to ejection for the game a penalty kick for the opposing team it's a slightly smaller pitch of course than a, than a full size football pitch 70 by 60 metres the ball is FIFA standard no offside rule as well um, and the goalkeeper can't leave their area but I just think it, it's a sport that probably doesn't get the credit or recognition it deserves um, I know the FAI are trying to do a lot of things to kind of bring it in and blind football is another one that's that's really going from strength to strength in Ireland as well so a lot of football associations in the 80s got ahead of this and started to, I guess, make amputee football a bigger thing and get into it. As I said, it started off in America kind of in the 80s. Uh, but Ireland are really getting involved now and they're one of the countries that are really doing th- good I'm, things. I'm going I'm I'm to sit in judgment here and I'm going to say you're one from two so far. One from Man, two. Okay. Well, I was, well, I was here, Shane. What have you got? So Chloe Kim. Sorry if you're watching, Chloe, but uh, Adrian, not impressed. Doing it for me. Let's hope you don't get... Have you ever been skiing? Yeah, I love it, yeah. Well, geez, I hope you don't get stuck up up there or caught in a blizzard With or Chloe need, need help from Chloe Kim. Come on, she's keep not it rolling with the story you don't care about here, Shane. Right, what have we got? we're going to Salerno, Italy now. Yeah. Uh, because Salernitana, a Serie A team, have, uh, have gone back to their ex, which is something you should never do. 48 hours after getting the sack, Davide Nicola brought in from the cold. There he is screaming after being sacked. Possibly. Probably. 
lovely hair, a bit, a bit, bit of a David Ginola look about uh, Davide Nicola. Um, essentially, Salernitana lost 8-2 to Atalanta in Bergamo last Sunday, which led to the initial call. Atalanta putting eight goals past them. So that was the first uh, time in a Serie A game that had happened for more than 26 years. So a bit of a, an outlier. Um, they're winless in six, four defeats, outscored 18 goals to seven during that stretch as well. They're 16th in the Serie A table, Salernitana, nine points above the drop zone, so it's not all lost. Um, they have lead leaders Napoli up next tomorrow before they take on Inform Lecce, who have not lost in six games. Um, but So they sacked Davide Nicola, and then on Wednesday they announced he was back in his old management position. So he received a call from the president of the club. They had apparently been in conversations with Rafa Benitez to take this job. Mm. He obviously turned it down, and then the president's like... Ah, Jesus. Do you know what? We'll go back to the old guy. Two, literally two days later. So, uh, the president explained, he says, uh, the president explained to me the reasons for his painful decision, which he had taken to highly discontinuity after a bad defeat. I apologised, took responsibility for the performance. Um, but he basically was saying, look, I know this club. I know what the team needs to do to get back to where it needs to be. Um, I have the passion. I have the desire. Uh, and I thank the president. I thank the director, Morgan De Sanctis, for his mediation. Without him, this would not be possible. Let's start again. It's it's so it's such a lovely story, Adrian. Someone get, being given a second nah. chance. Now this could go Whatever. this could go south if he starts losing games again. As I said, it's Napoli and Lecce up next for him. So lead leaders inform Lecce. I'd uh, sorry in a real terrible way. I'd love to see him get sacked again. Um, it's, <laughs> it sounds uh, awful. It's uh, it's basically like just it's a non-story. It's basically like a, a quicker big Sam. That's all. Quicker big Sam. Uh, Colin McCarthy's been in touch today. We had fourteen show up for a junior C Camogie game, and Chloe Kim stood in a quarter forward. Ah. See, she, she helps out in all sorts of emergencies. Anybody else has been helped by Chloe Kim? Please get in contact. Has anyone met Chloe Kim? Let us know. You're well, one from three so far, Shane. That's Grant. I don't care. We'll move on to the last story. We're going, Adrian, to Jamaica. Yeah. Usain Bolt. I mean, the music probably isn't what Usain Bolt wants to hear. There he is on screen. Uh, a lawyer for Usain Bolt saying this week that more than $12.7 million is missing from his account with a private investment firm in his homeland of Jamaica. Uh, Linton P. Gordon is the lawyer for Bolt. He's provided the Associated Press with a copy of a letter demanding that the money be returned. So the account once had $12.8 million in it, this account of use in bolts, but now has $12,000 in the account. So it's a serious act, they're saying, of fraud larceny or a combination of uh, a number of things against our client. They've threatened civil and criminal action if the money isn't returned within 10 days. So the countdown clock has started. If you're watching this and you've stolen use in bolts money, he wants it back within 10 days. Bit of a Liam Neeson vibe going on here. Mm. I will find you and I will... Is that all his money, do we know? <laughs> I'm sure you said the Bolt. other accounts. He has to have more than 12 million, doesn't he? You send Bolt? It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, but I mean, relatively speaking, fastest guy in the world, one of the most famous athletes there has ever been. Yeah, he's got to have more money than that. Unless he's absolutely been financially foolish and uh, wasted it all on different things. I don't know. Um, but, of course, it, it, it seems to be an, an element of fraud within the bank. Generally speaking, he's saying we understand clients are anxious to receive more information. Closely monitoring the situation, the company has said it discovered the fraud earlier this month and that several of its clients may be missing millions of dollars. His net worth is estimated... Sorry, Shane. Yeah, his net worth. Estimate, estimated to be $90 million. Okay. So he does have... His money elsewhere. He's, he's 78 he's million odd else. Not going to make or break him. Now, he's put up a, a bit of a cryptic Instagram post. You'll see on the screen now in a second here. Um, and I can't read the bottom of it and I've made the mistake of making it too small. <laughs> but he, well, this he, is very reflective of this item. It, he's mentioned the word cryptic. And he's put a black screen on his Instagram post and it's, he's referenced money as well. So uh, 
It's a worrying one. I was I was with you there until the end, and you lost it. You in a world of lies, where is the truth? The history of evil. What is the root? Money. Hashtag cryptic world. That's what he said in that post. Uh, so look, I guess the point of this this morning is if you have Usain Bolt's money, if you have his twelve point eight million dollars, and you happen to be watching OTBM this morning, give it back to him. So uh, Adrian Barry. I'm delighted to have brought you along on my around the world oh my journey. Might, you might say one of one out of four. I would say one out of. I was going to give you a two there, but you, the fact that you couldn't read your own thing at the end. Do you know what? That, Do you know what? That's counted against you, my friend. As long as someone took something from this this morning, maybe a feel good factor. Four little stories that you may you may have missed. So now, if you're sitting around the pub with your with your friends or around the gaff with your family this weekend, and someone brings up this story, you can say, "I've heard about this." Shane talked about this on Around the World on mm-hmm. Friday. So thank you, Shane. Uh, Equally so, if you if you didn't like it, a bit like Adrian, I really don't care. We've done this a lot on a Friday, and um, Adrian's it's not the stories that you you haven't heard from elsewhere, and there was no need for you to hear them. But that was it. It was around the world with Shane. Please don't do that on a Friday again. Uh, I actually I think we should do it on a Friday every week now, just because of Adrian's reaction. Um, you've made it. You've made it more interesting. Let's. Um, Let's talk about some some real sport. Some YouTube commenters saying that I'm really miserable. You uh, are fairly miserable, yeah, for a Friday. Jesus. Let's talk about some actual sport. Martin Lipton, football writer. Good morning to you. Hello. How are we? Flying it, and really enjoyed the game last night. I wasn't sure at the end of it, though, particularly after the Pep interview, what the true story about Manchester City of uh, as of January 2023 is. What's your view on it? I don't think anyone knows actually. And I think that's the issue. I, I thought I'd be coming here to talk about how desperate Spurs were, and I think we'll get onto that later. We will. <laughs> um, clearly, there's issues with um, with City internally. I think you you look at it and you think that he doesn't like he's never liked any sort of adverse fan reaction. We've shown he's shown shown that in the past, but I think he thinks that one or two of his players are and not putting the effort in. And you know, but that his training method is full full on every session. He wants them to buy into his particularly uh, demanding ways. And I think he's looking across that squad and seeing players who don't want to do so. And I think this is the first time since he's been at City that he's had that. Now, he had that towards the end of his period of at Bayern Munich, and he showed similar signs of agitation then. Mm. It, like it's also possible it struck me during that piece that he is uh, rarely as giving let's call it and as emotional almost as he was in that piece is he overstating his case to a degree just to try and get a um, reaction from the players or does he? do you think he actually believes because I mean he, some of the stuff here if people have missed it if we don't show more guts we're going to get caught sooner or later I don't recognise my team and Arsenal have the fire they have the fire was he overstating his uh, his case? It looks as though it's a, a, an effort to get some sort of reaction, certainly to spark something uh, from them. Maybe it's a, a, to try and get reaction from the, from the board to give him some more money and buy a couple of players in in the last 10 days of the window. I mean, that's always possible. Mm. Um, you look at City and you still think they're a fine team, but they aren't as convincing as they have been. Uh, and I think that is because they have had to change their way of playing to accommodate Holland and he would always score a goal because he's clearly an outstanding goal scorer, an outstanding striker. But it does mean they're playing with ten. And part of the the genius of Pep was that you he overwhelmed his opponents with ball possession. And you need eleven to do that. Mm. 
Mm, and he's never going to be that guy. What does and, and on that because it does strike me that like a, so much commentary this morning is going to be about the interview and less so about the shoddiness of the Ederson pass that led to the first goal or how get atable they were through the middle in the lead into the second goal. Um, that possibly those things are real tangible portents to how this title is going to play out. Well, the, the the critical games are those two against Arsenal. Now, one of them is relatively swiftly. The other one's not till April. Mm. Uh, but City have got to win the first of those to keep the pressure on. I mean, they are in the rare position of wanting Manchester United to win at the weekend as well, which I'm sure will be uh, an irony not lost on them. Um, there's no question Arsenal have been the best team in the league this year by, by as many points as the table tells you. They've been excellent. They've only lost the one game and they shouldn't have lost that. If they'd kept their heads, they'd have probably beaten United at Old Trafford. So City are in a, a genuine fight. It's not an unwinnable fight as the one they left themselves with against Liverpool three seasons ago. And they know that they've hauled teams back in in the past. But they will need half the season where they drop maybe six points, um, including two games against Arsenal. Well, that's that's a big call, particularly when you've got Champions League, which, as we know, is the prime target of the club. Uh, and at the moment, I think that not just the bookies, but I think that you know anyone would look at it and think, actually, this is Arsenal's title to lose. So for City to overcome that, they've really got to got to sh- shape up. And I think they they showed a laxity in the first half in particular, and against uh, a less flaky team than Spurs, they'd have lost that match. You're on with us every second or third week, Martin, and we ask you this question every time you're on, I'm pretty sure. Um, and it seemed unthinkable that we'd be asking this question this morning uh, at half time of the game last night. But uh, the future of Antonio Conte is probably, seems like a reasonable question to ask this morning. I can't see any way in that he's at the club next season. Right. At the moment. For a variety of reasons. And I think actually, and I had not thought of this before, but he gave a real indication of the primary reason in his press comments before the game. And it's nothing to do with his relationship with the board or the players or transfers or any of that. I think he fears that he's getting old. He's had a number of close friends and family die and he's reassessing his life and asking himself, do I really want to be away from home any much any longer? And I think the answer is no. Mm. As in, it's as simple as that. It's a, it's a perfectly yeah. normal, natural human reaction. For legitimate reasons, he's almost sort of checked out a bit. It, if, I, I, I don't think he wants to leave now. He, but he's a professional and he has a job to do, and he'll see it through. But I don't think his heart's in it at the moment because he feels he's let people down by being away almost, and he wants to go home, and he wants to go back to Italy, and he wants to see his family and his kids and his extended family, and he can't do that if he's in London. It is those... those. Um, I mean, Luca Vialli, I suppose, is the most recent of them, Martin, that you mentioned, and Giampiero yeah. Ventroni, the fitness coach, and Mihailovic as well, who he got on with very well over the years. They must have all just triggered something in Conte's mind, and you can kind of sense it, as you say, from his interviews, that, that he certainly is thinking about life beyond football. I, I, that doesn't mean he's going to retire. I don't think he will. I think he's, it's too much in him to, go, to, to walk away from the game. But he could go back to Juventus or Inter or Milan or Napoli. Or obviously, not Napoli the way they're going. You know, he could go back to Italy and get a job like that and still be at home, still be close to people. And I think it's as you get older. Sadly, I know this as I'm getting older. You do start to think about your own mortality a bit more. When you're a kid, you're you're, you're never going to die. 
when you get older, you know you're going to die. And the question is when you're going to die. And you start to wonder, what have I done with my life? And you start to reassess yourself and your relationships with people, particularly family. And unfortunately, this year has brought... I, look, I might be entirely wrong. This is completely my reading of watching from remote press conferences. So I might be entirely wrong, but I'll read it. I just get the sense of this is a human reaction and he he thinks he has to leave. Is this season and the way it's playing out most especially galling for Tottenham fans um, given like that the fact that they've finished ahead of Arsenal uh, mostly, particularly recently, not by much of, uh, for each of the last six seasons and the gap is now a chasm uh, at the top for Arsenal. Is that another factor for Tottenham fans' frustration at the minute with Conte or with the board or whoever else? I think it's heightened all of the frustration and disappointment. They look at the table. If Spurs had been fifth with Arsenal full from four points ahead, it wouldn't have felt so bad. It would have felt bad. It wouldn't have felt so bad. The fact that Arsenal are 14 points clear and going to probably end up being 30 points clear of Spurs the way it's going uh, doesn't help. Spurs are going to be playing, if they're lucky, and I'm not sure they will at the moment, if they're lucky, they'll be playing Europa League or Conference League next season, um, unless something remarkable happens over the next next four months, which I really can't see. And it feels like the club's in free fall. I don't think it actually is in free fall. It just feels like it. Um, the basics of the club, the economics of the club, uh, are are solid and sound. And if you're going to ask me next, and I'm sure you will, and the answer is Maurizio Pochettino returning <laughs> in the summer. I think it's almost... If Conte goes, Pochettino will be invited back in. I presume that whoever that is, the first question is, how much money have I got to replace my goalkeeper and most of the uh, defence? Well, they've got the money. They've got a lot of money. The question is whether they want to spend it or not. Uh, they, their revenues this year, this season will be, I think, somewhere in the region of half a billion pounds, which allows them to spend £450 uh, million if they wanted to on players and wages and meet the UEFA criteria. Uh, they haven't lost a huge amount of money. They're in a position where they can certainly spend. Is there a will- willingness to do so? If you are looking to sell the club and maximise its value, which I think is clearly what the leadership, the ownership at some point want to do, you have to be able to offer Champions League football. The way you offer Champions League football is to have Champions League players. Spurs have still got the sixth highest wage bill. They've got to try and make that near the fifth highest wage bill to give themselves a realistic long-term time and time again chance. And, of course, there's going to be a seventh contender for those places who already is a seventh contender for those places in Newcastle. So it's going to get harder, not easier. Mm. Will Pochettino want to come back, Martin, do you think? Yes. Unfinished business. I, I always, I think at the time I, I, I took the view that they would have been better just giving him a sabbatical and say, come back in August rather than sacking him. Uh, the relationship between uh, Pochettino and Levy was very, very strong. You've got to remember that. They used to go on holiday together, white water rafting, things like that. They were together for a long time. They disagreed on things, but a lot of it was about the finances of the of the new stadium, that Levy felt he couldn't give all the money Pochettino wanted. In fact, one famous summer, none of the money that Pochettino wanted because of the rebuild cost. That's no longer an issue. But also, Pochettino bought into it to a degree. He reckoned, he want, what he wanted to do was get rid of some players to allow him to spend the money that, from their um, sales. That included, at the time, Alderweireld and others. And they couldn't find a buyer. So he wasn't 
completely opposed to the policy, just felt that needed to be better worked out. On a personal level, I think there's still a fairly strong relationship. I don't think there's any any hint of animosity. And if he's got unfinished business, Levy will think, Uso is a manager I know I can deal with. Hmm. Would there be an overhaul of the squad if Pochettino was to look even last night at the performance and performances recently? Young Min Son is a man who's who's bang out of form. Ivan Perisic last night given a torrid time by Riyad Mahrez. Uh, there's players all over the pitch that look they're individually speaking not playing well which you can't really give Conte the blame for all of it yeah I mean but it, it, at half time you wouldn't have said that would you no fair point you might say it about Son but you wouldn't you say oh Ben Tancor's made such a difference and Kulisevsky being back and not Spurs they were alright they've got Kane look at that and even Emerson Royal you know. and then you see the second half I think this is an absolute shower of rubbish what the hell are they doing on the pitch mm. football can be a bit like that look I think it's no doubt Son's having a terrible season Awful. I mean, he's he's a shadow of the player he was for whatever reason, uh, and he could really do is spend the next month playing fifteen minutes here and there off the bench mm. and try and galvanise him that way. Um, to be fair to Perisic, he's been one of the better performers this season. Mm. He had a poor game yesterday in the second half, but that's because he wasn't given any cover. Um, there are lots of others who I get rid of before Perisic. I mean, Spurs haven't got. Really, apart from Romero, a proper defender at the back and a centre-half. The right wing-back's not good enough, none of them, unfortunately. Let's be honest, I mean, even Dirty's had an improvement. He's not He's not an international class, world-class, which is what Tottenham want or need, uh, right wing-back. Uh, they can still they haven't got a playmaker in the squad. Yeah, it needs to be overhauled. Too many of those players were there in the first few, for, you know, certainly still there when Pochettino left. Um, quite a few of them were there virtually when he started and that's ludicrous um, Talk to us a little bit about Arsenal United Martin if you will before we wrap up it's brilliant I feel to have this um, rivalry back to the point where they're both at the peak of their game both I mean you could extend the uh, courtesy to United t- challenging for the title Yeah I mean I think the Casemiro absence could be critical because mm. he's been a pivotal part of, of United in recent weeks and the frustration of conceding that goal against Palace it will work either way. It will either galvanise them, really make them up for to get the win, or it will be oh, just a bit too far. Arsenal are flying, and they are an outstanding side at the moment. Saka, Odegaard, excellent. Um, and Ketchia's movement, if not his goals, and again, um, Gabriel Jesus didn't score goals, so it is his movement, has made up for the last, loss of, of Gabriel Jesus. They've been incredibly fortunate. You know, every game, 10 players play. If they stay fit, if they keep that fitness up, they win the league. But can they do that? That's the big question. But on on at the weekend, United need to win. A draw is just about acceptable for Arsenal. But Arsenal want to win. And I think that at the moment, you put Arsenal as pretty 60-40 favourites to, to do so. Mm. They've, um, you're right about Casemiro it's such a shame he's not there because I think it would have been a far different game and a tighter game and if Arsenal win everybody will point to that they've signed they've eventually made a signing Martin it's not quite the man they set out to get but um, Leandro Trossard joins uh, fees of around 26 million uh, rising to that at some point or another um, are they, is this a squad bolstering or is there room for this guy in the first 11 I think uh, when they played Chelsea and beat them I said they needed to make uh, a few changes in uh in January, I think they needed a striker. They needed a right side option um, because if they got an injury on the left, Saka could switch, or you know, but someone who could at least give them that option up front. And they could have just done with the central midfielder in case Party gets injured. So this is one of those three. Trossard, Trossard is good enough to start, no question. 
whether he will start is another issue. I'm not sure he will be in the, the first 11, but there'll be games when he starts. He's already proven this season, over a number of seasons actually for Brighton and for Belgium, that he's a, a quality act. Uh, it's a very good signing and it improves them in terms of their depth straight away. Um, they'll be delighted with that and, and rightly so. Mm. I think there'll be no issues in terms of the uh, the atmosphere on, on Sunday at the Emirates, um, Martin, for sure. Like, Not to, to take it back to Pep's comments, but when he's, when he's talking about fans and fans getting involved in club games, I saw a, lot of, a, a number of City fans last night on Twitter kind of pointing to ticket prices and how, you know, for many people they can fly to Germany and go to a game for the same price as, as walk across the road in London to a Premier League match. Is that is that, a, is that an issue for, for a number of clubs at the moment, that, that atmospheres are, are being kind of dictated by the by the by the the sheer size of the ticket prices at the moment. I think the demographics of football have altered. Yeah, we're not talking about the working man's ballet anymore, are we? It is no longer uh something that you can t- you, a you can't turn up if you wanted to like a uh, change your mind and go to watch a Premier League game. You've got to buy your tickets in advance and you've got to pay upwards of 50, 60 quid. You know, in London, London prices are, you know, I live in London so I'm I'm used to them, but for many most places in the country, London ticket prices are inconceivably astronomical. And even City have always been relatively cheap compared to, to a number of clubs. It feels expensive. We're in a cost of living crisis. People are going to pick and choose their their games. They can't afford season tickets, a lot of people, in, in a way that months upon a time they could have done. Um, and therefore, it does mean more tourists, if you want to call them that, who just want to, uh, to have the atmosphere of the ground for one game because of the Premier League's global appeal are going to be inside because they can afford it. It's part of their holiday, their trip, is to go to a Premier League game. And they don't really care who wins. Um, that's just the nature of the, the success of the Premier League can be in some some regards a, a failing. So I, I think there is some some merit in the argument. But there's also a lot of City fans who booed because they were just hacked off at the way they played because they could see the title slipping away. And some of them thought Guardiola's comments on Saturday after the Manchester derby we're in basically thrown in the town in the Premier League. Uh, this last one is not a, a topic to touch on briefly, but if you can, and we'll come back to it again in more uh, deep um, conversation, I'm sure, down the track. But I listened to the Jim White interview in TalkSport with John Williams yesterday afternoon with my jaw on the ground, uh, I must I must say. Uh, former Crawley manager, banned from football until 2024 after being guilty of racist abuse. It's incredible how uh, this has played out. It has felt to me like a conversation of that should never have been in the first place, but certainly of decades old. It's horrific to realise that despite the meteor that struck the planet 70-odd million years ago, dinosaurs still walk amongst us. Um, and Yems's cultural attitudes, his, let's be honest, racism, no question about it, whatever the panel said, uh, has no place in society, let alone within football. I'm not sure of the wisdom of giving him a platform yesterday, but in the end, what it served to do was prove everything the FA is saying, that they want this uh, decision to be reassessed, to be toughened and strengthened and added to, because it is clearly insufficient. They don't believe that, this is Wembley, don't believe that they can formally demand the changes of the wording of the reading, because it was uh, was an independent panel including a QC, including Tony Agana, the former Sheffield United striker. Uh, but the only thing I can say that's a positive is that I cannot see any way in which John Yems is ever appointed or uh, given a post by a football club ever again. 
And that's a good thing. Other than that, it's been a pretty depressing, reprehensible few days. Listen to that interview. I'm not sure that he fully agrees remarkably. Uh, Curtis Fleming was incredibly um, giving and uh, and good on the topic as well. You can check that out on our uh, YouTube channel. Martin Lipton, The Sun. Thanks a million. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thanks a lot. Interesting as always. It's Scott at quarter past nine on this uh, Friday morning. You're watching OTBAM, uh, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And uh, here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio over the course of the day for you. Half past ten will be the football kickoff, marking your card ahead of all that good uh, Premier League stuff ahead of the weekend. Joe in conversation with Ruby Walsh and OTB Gold at one. Cork, the subject of Mount Rushmore at three. Keith uh, Wood, State of the Union from four. And then at six, it's OTB Gold and it's an Irish football uh, special. Shea Given, Niall Quinn, Jason McIntyre and Kevin Gilban. What is not to love with that? And then off the ball, live on your radio from 7 this evening. You can follow us as well across all of our social channels. Subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for the best and the latest in sports content. After the break, we're going to be talking with Meads, Emma Duggan, about... um uh, the return of the little um, National Football League and plenty more as well. Besides, first of all, your daily GMAC motivation. Testing 1-2-1-2. GMAC 1-2. GMAC's Morning Motivational Moment or something along those lines there's so many to choose from Good morning Graham Dole here GMAC as you guys like to call me some Friday motivation for you now ahead of the weekend age is no barrier in sport it's a limitation you put on your mind I'm a big sports fan I love uh, love all sports uh, mainly football uh, British football soccer as you guys like to call it that's your Friday motivation. See you on Monday. GMAX Morning Motivational Moment. Or something along those lines. There's so many to choose from. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, 20 minutes past nine on this Friday morning's OTB. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this morning the uh, Dunboyne and Mead star, Emma Duggan. Morning, Emma. How are things? Good, how are you? Keeping well. Thanks for joining us, Emma, as always. Um, you have the Lidl Ladies National Football League against the Dubs tomorrow. Um, a, a bit of a resumption of a rivalry, it's fair to say, that's that's juiced up and built up over the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been, I suppose, only a couple of years now with the rivalry. When we were intermediate, we probably weren't on their radar at all. But um, I suppose since 2021, we are, and it's great um, You know, to be playing against the best teams. Um, and no better way, I suppose, to kickstart the league as well. And then against Dublin, I think we'll quickly find out where we are. So um, we're all really looking forward to it. I know you're studying accounting and finance in, in DCU, so you know that St. Clair's pitch over there um, fairly well, it's safe to say. It was a bit of controversy during the week, the fact that this game can't be played in Parnell Park. Um, I guess it's had a lot of action, Parnell Park, in recent weeks and months, so uh, just not ready for, for use. But is there any disappointment that maybe there won't be as big a crowd as there could be for a game like this? Because there's, there's a lot of interest when Dublin play meet. Um, but I guess there's there's no main stand, which is the the issue that a lot of people are pointing out. Yeah, I think you know if you look back at the, the game last year in Partalton um, in Navan, the atmosphere was was absolutely unbelievable. I think we all probably just presumed that it was going to be in Parnell Park. But look, you know these things happen, and um, you know both teams have to play on the same pitch. You know, probably there probably won't be the same atmosphere, but um, you know I'm sure there'll be a big crowd out regardless. Um, everyone wants to see a Meath and Dublin game. Um, but yeah, look, it's it's. I think it's disappointing, but um, you know we're not getting too bogged down about it either. Uh, we have to play the game, and at the end of the day, we still have to get a result. So, so um, they could have just run it up the road to uh, uh, back up to Navan. 
<laughs> exactly we, we would have taken it and have an alright <laughs> like it, but it wouldn't have been, I, and, and like I'm sort of half joking saying that but like it's a ground that I don't, look at I don't know what the fixture schedule to Park Talton over the weekend was but like more fitting of a game like that yeah absolutely look I think you know for a game like this like you said there's there's always going to be a big crowd there and you know everyone wants to go to see that game so I think you know it's probably one of them games where it does need a stand that does need a bigger venue than you know what DCU are, are able to produce but you know, that it is what it is. Um, unfortunately, we can't do anything about it now. Of course, if we had to say, um, we'd, we'd, we'd happily play it in Alvin, but <clears throat> that's not how the league works either. You know, it's, an, it's a home fixture for them. So, um, you know, they get to choose what pitch it's on and I'm sure they probably struggle to get to find a pitch as well. Um, it seems to be a bit of a problem um, at this time of year. But look, like I said, we have to play the game and we have to try to go out and get a performance regardless of where the, the match is. I understand you had a bit of an extended individual break uh, before Christmas, Emma, and then the team holiday to Grand Canaria over New Year's. I'm sure that was a, a nice little bonding session to get away. Yeah, bonding, all right, you could say. <laughs> um, yeah, look, it was it was, it was was great to get away with the girls, I suppose. Um, we probably hadn't seen each other as a group in a good few weeks um, with the club, and then, you know, everyone's doing their own thing individually. So it was great to get together um, and, you know, we had the two girls back from Australia as well. Vicky and um, Orla joined us as well. So um, it was really, really great. And I think we, we enjoyed ourselves for the last hurrah. So uh, we knew it was going to be back to business when we came home. So, you know, we let loose. You mentioned Vicky and Orla there. To have them involved this year is huge for yourselves. I know you have a couple of couple of girls travelling as well, which is a disappointment. But someone like Vicky Wall's uh, level especially. Um, and you were seeing the rumours during the week that she was being tapped up by the IRFU to come involved and play a bit of rugby but um, you're not having that at all Emma are you? Um, to be honest with you I was actually shocked when I saw it I was like I have no idea where this has come from um, and to be honest with you she she hasn't said anything to me about it so I'd be <laughs> I'd be very disappointed if she was keeping secrets like that, like that from me so um, no I don't think you know you can c- confirm Vicky but I'm pretty sure there's no truth to that I'm not really sure where it came from um, but look these things happen. That's that's the media for you. They see, they get a hint of something, and they they you know make it a thing. But um, look, I'm sure she's sick of people coming up and asking her now. The last few days, I think she was as surprised as the rest of us to see that out there. But um, I know. Look, we're we're delighted that she's sticking with Gaelic and not rugby for the season ahead. I think we're going to need her for championship. So it's probably testament to how well you've done over the last couple of years. Because you know when a team's doing well, everyone wants to be involved. You know, the number of people going off travelling or, or wanting to go down and play in Australia probably dwindles when a team is winning All-Irelands because they don't want to look back in three, four, five years or at the end of their career and say, Jesus, I left a few All-Irelands there. I could have been involved. Yeah, exactly. I think that made, you know, the decision for the girls going off travelling um, a lot harder when you're, you know, in this phase of, of winning. You don't really want to leave. And, you know, we, all, we know all too well that, you know, good times don't last forever, unfortunately. And we have to, you know, really you know, take advantage at this time when we're winning um, and try to progress even further. So it's it's great that the I suppose Vicky and Orla can see that as well. Um, you know, I I never had a doubt in my in my mind whether they were gonna play or not. I think they're you know, they're extremely passionate football and need people. So um, you know, any chance they're gonna get to an all iron medal, they're gonna they're gonna take it. So um, we're just delighted to have them on board. I remember hearing you speaking before Emma uh, in the last year or two about physicality in the women's game. Um you made the very good point, you know, that it could and should be brought in line with with the men's game, that you can get away with nothing in the women's uh, side of things at the moment. And as you said, you know, you're going to the gym two or three or four times a week. What's the point if you can't adopt that physicality into the into the sport? Do you think that's that's a factor in terms of 
players wanting to go down to Australia and even the Australian clubs realising, you know, we could get these girls involved because the physicality down here is far greater and far more things are allowed. So is that an element of the game you'd like to see changed in ladies' football? Yeah, I think there is definitely a, a small tweak that can be made. Um, you know, I don't think it'll ever be in line with the men's game, Joe. They're just obviously a different build completely. Um, and I'm not saying that to be in any way, I suppose, patronising or condescending to women. Like, it's just, it's 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 how it is. But we are getting, you know, very, you know, we are strong. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time in the gym these days. Um, so, it, like I said, it's, it kind of makes no sense to me as to why we're putting more emphasis on the gym and strength and conditioning if it can't be, I suppose, used in games um, the way, you know, we might like it. Um, so I think, you know, there could be could be a little change made there. Maybe it's kind of just an interpretation issue um, for ref- from referees or whatever, but um, it's definitely something I'd like to see progress over the next couple of years. Um, but, you know, I'm not sure how, how we'll get that. But, um, yeah, it's definitely something I'd like to see kind of change in the game, all right. It would certainly keep players involved, no doubt. Like, is that is that the main element of the game you'd like to see changed over the next couple of years? Are there other other rules that kind of, you know, when you come back to preseason training, you're like, Jesus, yeah, I forgot about this. It, 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 there are, I'm sure, elements of the game, and it's the same in the men's side of things that that, that frustrate the players. Yeah, I think obviously physical physicality wise, um, definitely frustrates players. I think there's probably one rule in particular in the ladies' game that no one really understands. It's the um, the charging rule. So to be honest, I actually couldn't, you know, people ask me all the time, what, what, what is the rule to that? And I, I couldn't tell them anymore because unfortunately it's different for every referee um, and how they interpret it, which is obviously, you know, not great if this, there's such an inconsistent way in which the game is played. You know, sometimes you could run into someone and a foul is given against you or it's a, another day you could run into someone and, you know, you're given the free. So it's really, really hard to know. I think that's, I know it's something that, the LGFA are trying to work on um, I know it was a question that I answered in a survey for the GPA not too long ago um, about the charging rules so it's obviously been made clear to them that it's it's, it's inconsistent but um, look hopefully it'll improve in the next year because it's quite hard to judge um, every game to be honest with you um, and I think that, that brings a lot of frustration to players and obviously management in, in, on the sideline as well uh, Davy Nelson is involved this year, uh, Emma. So, uh, and fresh face, new ideas coming into the the team as well, which adds a little bit of uh, interest to the to the squad as well. You know, because everyone is starting from from new. Or not, it's an opportunity for players who maybe were fringe players to get get into the starting fifteen of, across the next uh, number of months in league and championship. Um, so far, so good with Davy. Yeah, so far so good. Um, you know, he's he's very different to what we we've had before. Um, but you know, different isn't always bad. Um, he's brought a really good side. Um, and himself and Bernie are just bringing something a little bit different. Um, <clears throat> in terms of you know their personality, their perspective, the way they look at things. Um, and obviously fresh and uh, new ideas. So it's it's really great to have them in. And like you said, it's an opportunity for girls who maybe haven't got much game time or have been on the fringes for the last years to kind of put their hand up um, but yeah look we, we still have a bit of continuity there with Mark Brennan still involved so um, it's not like the two you know Davey and Bernie are coming in and changing everything up you know they're just looking at things a little bit different and trying to tweak our game um, as much as we can which is exactly what we need you know we constantly need to improve if we want to stay you know stay at the top um, so it's, it's great to have them in and um, obviously we, we look forward to the year ahead with them and hopefully it brings a little bit more success 
I was listening to a um, podcast with David Moyes during the week, Emma, and he was talking about that sort of aftermath, obviously coming in after Alex Ferguson and not wanting to come in and turn everything upside down. So to try and harness some of the stuff that was there and add his own little bit, it sort of sounds a little bit like that's what's going on with Davey. What's he, um, what sort of stuff has he been looking to change on a practical level? Or what are you doing differently? Yeah, look, like you said, he's he's definitely not going to try change and bring in a whole new game plan, um, a whole new system, anything like that. You know, I think that takes years to develop, um, and obviously we want to take full advantage of where we're at the minute. You know, I think he's kind of taking the approach of, you know, don't fix what's not broken, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, there is definitely elements. I think, um, <clears throat> in years we probably haven't been a great kick passing team, or just just little things like that that he's probably trying to introduce a little bit more of, um. But yeah, look, he's he's definitely not trying to change a whole lot. I think he's just trying to maybe utilise the players he has a little bit more um, in different ways and, you know, trying girls out in new positions, stuff like this. So um, it's inter- it'll be interesting to see now um, where we can go. Does he um, does he sit with G in during that process or when he comes in to say, listen, here's what I'm about, here's what you've been doing. Is there stuff that you're sitting on that you want to talk about, that you want to do, that you'd like to do differently? Does he consult with maybe even some of the more senior players on that or just sort of bash away on his own? Yeah, he definitely would. He's he's a great communicator. He takes on, you know, everyone's opinion on board. Um, and I think that's really important to have. Obviously, we have a lot of, you know, experienced older girls on the team. They've been around for a long time. They know what we're about. They know what we, you know, our potential and stuff like that. So um, he definitely listens to everyone. You know, he's not a stubborn, you know, he's not, he doesn't have, you know, his way or no way. Um, he definitely likes likes players on players' opinions, and he's definitely taken them on board so far. Um, so you know, hats off to him for that. He's not, you know, he's not trying to come in and and um, and you know put a weird dynamic into the team either. So um, you know, he's been he's been great so far. I can have absolutely no complaints about him. Um, just the last one for me. I'm a, I know after that first All Ireland in, in 2020 that you, you were keen to. To point out to people that it wasn't a fluke, it wasn't a flash in the pan. You know, it was a it was a thing that that had been building for for a number of years, and you did that by by backing it up and winning another All Ireland. Um, so you'll have a target in your backs now. It, it strikes me, and I remember there was the great story. I think we spoke to Vicky before, and she was saying that on the bus to that first All Ireland, um, you know, Dublin chasing five in a row, I think, in twenty twenty. That um, Vicky, of course, is your your club mate in Dunboyne, had sent you a text. You were maybe sitting in front of her on the team bus on the way to the All Ireland final, and she dropped you a quick text. We're going to win this game. Yeah. Like positive affirmations like that is just what makes this me team so great. Uh, that, that's what strikes me anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think me and Vic could be a bit weird like that now. Um, texts when I was just in front of her um, on the bus, <laughs> but yeah, no, there's there's full truth in that. Um, I think I think we just had a feeling and um, that year, like the weeks building up to the All Ireland final, where some of the best weeks of my life um, and I think just preparing for it we put so much work into it um, to be fair our management you know hours and hours and hours of work you know looking at Dublin looking at ourselves you know looking at different things to try and, and motivate us now not that we needed too much motivation like but um, you know we just put an awful lot of work into it and you know come the night before the game um, I knew we were ready and um, whether that was you know, to be a couple of points off them or whatever, but I I knew we weren't going to be too far away from it all. But I just had this feeling that um it was going to be a good day and that you know we we were going to pip them. Um and you know I don't think that's I don't think that's cockiness. I think it's just con- confidence in in the team that we had. Um you know the, the the spirits are really really high. It was a great environment to be around, and um I definitely had a good feeling about that. Um last year, pretty similar. Um I think we had 
you know, we probably hadn't performed to our best throughout the championship at all, but I knew coming into that Kerry game that, um, you know, we, I suppose we'd kind of sorted ourselves out a little bit in terms of not getting the best out of ourselves. And, you know, we were ready going into that game as well. I suppose you just kind of just get this feeling maybe. Um, and sometimes it goes your way and sometimes it doesn't. But um, we've been lucky the last two years that it has. I don't know if you're a soccer fan, Emma, or you were watching City Spurs last night. I wasn't, unfortunately, no. You, you might not have seen the post-match interview with Pep Guardiola then where he's like uh, losing the plot about, you know, Man City have lost or the hunger, the fire is gone, Arsenal have uh, Arsenal have the fire, we don't have the fire anymore. And I was thinking about it in relation to chatting to you this morning. I'm not saying it's quite as dramatic as that, but um, had he, did he chat about, like, the success, uh, sating the thirst for, for more, or is that just, you kind of touching it there, but is that just a given that, no, we want to. We want to win. We want to create a dynasty here. Yeah, I think um, it's. I think you know a lot of people say that when you lose, it makes you hungry. But I think when you win, it makes you hungrier. Um, I I do think that. I think we've had our days where we've you know come out on the wrong side of things. But you know that feeling that you get <clears throat> when the final is a blow is an all iron final is it's a feeling like no other. And I think you kind of have to bottle that up in a way and, you know, use it to motivate yourself at times. And I think I was only saying the other day, <clears throat> especially at this time of year, you know, you're running in the slog and, you know, you're doing hard running sessions and, you know, there's not much football going on. Um, and you kind of just have to use this, you know, use that feeling that we experience in Crow Park to get your boy. Um, you know, a lot of the time we kind of say to ourselves, you know, we're, we're running up and down in a bog. We're saying, you know, pretend you're running Crow Park, pretend you're running to get that last ball at the end of the at the end of the game so I think you kind of have to use you know moments like that um, to your advantage um, so yeah I think you know it does sound like cliche but we've learned that over the years you know you can have an end goal you know which is obviously to win the all Ireland final at the end of the year but you really do have to take every game as it comes um, we're all about building on our performances um, you know you're never going to get that perfect performance but if you improve you know every game you're gonna get. You're gonna go far, um, and I think that's that's what we do an awful lot of the time, um, and just building and building. Hopefully, you know we can do the same again this year. Well, look, you'll uh, run your rivalries with the Dubs again tomorrow, Emma. I think it's five fifteen on TJ Carr as well, or for up in uh, St Clair's in DCU for anyone who wants to head along to the Lidl Ladies National Football League game. Listen, best of luck for the for the league campaign and the championship ahead, and uh, no doubt we'll catch up again soon. Thank you very much. Great stuff, Emma Duggan there. That was interesting, yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was trying to sort of uh, leverage on the whole <laughs> angle there, but uh, in fairness. No, I liked um, it. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right, that's almost it uh, from us for this morning. Brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, thanks for being with us over the last few hours. Not quite done yet. Back on Monday, of course, as well with our performance rankings, which uh, should be interesting. Some big ties over the weekend. Will Joey Carberry, Carberry mm. be in red or uh, green? He'll or, definitely uh, be wearing red in the, during uh, the match yeah. anyway. But. Well, uh, Ross Byrne, mm. it'll be... Uh, I'll shut up now. Uh, Alan Quinlan is going to be back as well to review uh, the weekend's rugby. Don't forget to tune in to Off the Ball over the weekend and tonight as well. We're going to have live Premier League over the weekend. Heineken Champions, Champions Cup action as well. We have Munster on uh, Sunday. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.